It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. You are in luck. A great show to come. It always is great when Amy Webb's here from the Future Today Institute and one of the original Twit stars, Kevin Rose, the dark tipper. We have lots to talk about. Kevin's an expert on blockchain and modern finance. We'll talk about his crypto punk collection. The ship's still stuck. We'll get a traffic report direct from the Suez Canal. Twitter's unofficial mayor quits. Is there anything Twitter could have done better? And then Kevin will show us his bones. He's he just got a full body scan, and the pictures are amazing. It's all coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit, This Week in Tech, episode 816, recorded Sunday, March 28th, 2021. Who owns the clone? This Week in Tech is brought to you by Babbel. Babbel's made learning a new language fun and easy. With bite-sized lessons, you'll actually use in the real world. Purchase a three-month Babbel subscription and get an additional three months free. Go to babbel.com and use the promo code TWIT. And by Udacity. Build your tech skills through industry-leading programs created and recognized by top companies worldwide with a nano degree from Udacity in as little as 12 weeks. Visit udacity.com slash twit and use the coupon code twit at checkout to get 50% off through May 30th, 2021. And by Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. To get your new wireless plan for just $15 a month, and get it shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash twit. And by Molecule. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air, starting with the air purifier. It's not just an innovation on existing technology. It's a scientific breakthrough in air purification. To save up to $120 on an air purifier, visit molecule.com and enter the code TWIT120 at checkout. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we cover the week's tech news this week. A panel of two, well, three if you include me, because we've got two of my favorite people on. Amy Webb is here from the Future Today Institute. I honestly think we could just do a show with just Amy. She's so full of information, and her brand new 14th annual Tech Trends Report is out. So we'll certainly be talking about that. Hi, Amy. Hey, Leo. Good Pesach. Happy Passover. Thank you. I, I said it in Yiddish. Is it good Pesach? Is, that what, <laughs> is it good? I don't know if it's like a good thing. I mean, we're all alive, so we're, that part's We good. made it. The Pharaoh didn't we get us. Yeah. Had some had some har- haroset and um, yeah. some... Uh, do you do the whole Seder thing? Do you hide the afakom and the matzah and do all that? Yeah, we do the whole thing. We do the whole thing and... Uh, we put it so if you don't know that that we you hide a cracker when you explain these things out loud no, nothing makes sense it all sounds really horrible but there's a part in all of this where you hide a cracker and then everybody has to go look for it um we put it in a pretty obvious place but everybody overthought it uh, our carpet got ripped up um how many kids were there cuz only the kids are supposed three. to look yeah three it's found out Totally separately because this is weird. So yeah, basically like it's a break. It's a long service. So like kids go out, they uh, 
I look for it, they come back. But my husband's family, I found out, did it in this really messed up way. This Their tradition was that the kids hide it and the adults have to go find it. And in order to restart the service, the, uh, the they have to barter and the kids have to get from the what adults. What the heck? Award. <laughs> yeah, really messed up. <laughs> really so, messed up. <laughs> so it's it's long. The service is long enough. The Haggadah yeah. that you go that you do is long enough. Most people, that's their biggest complaint about Passover. Yeah. I don't think you should make it longer. No, no, and the kids know that, so they're like, "You, you want to wrap this up? You got to give me something." Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can find this part of the Red Sea shanty that describes the Afrikanen. Oh my God! For real, I did not see this. This is a uh, Israeli uh, a cappella singing group called Six Thirteen. They do every every uh, every every Jewish every holiday. Name. They do a weird song. This is their Red yeah. Sea shanty. That's and, uh, pretty hilarious. That's, I'll have to take a look at that. That's how I've learned everything I know about Passovers from these guys. <laughs> and also want to welcome Kevin Rose back. He's the original twit, by the way. You were on Twit Episode Zero, Twit Episode One, and I don't know, maybe the first hundred twits. It's great to see you. It's good, Kevin. To, good to see you, Leo. Thanks for having me. Uh, venture capitalist with True Ventures. He's got a brand new podcast. I want to give you a plug right up front. MoFi, the Modern Finance Podcast. You're only in your, you've only done three episodes, only two published so far, but the first one is a must listen. I listen to it immediately uh, because I am completely baffled by this whole crazy NFT thing. We've spent a lot of time talking about the Beeple's $69 million art JPEG sold at Christie's. Uh, but you explained it all very well uh, with uh, I am DC investor uh, Aftab Hossein, uh, who is who is you know, and you. I guess you're also an investor. You've bought some NFTs. Yeah, I mean, I was definitely dabbling way back when CryptoPunks first came out, which was uh, probably well, that was before the the standard was actually defined. So two they and weren't three years ago. They weren't actually NFTs at first, were they? That's right. Yeah, the the standard was based on the work done with the CryptoPunks uh, project. Oh, interesting. So they were. So you're smart. I, I heard you say that you sold. This is these are the CryptoPunks. Yeah, they are twenty five by twenty five pixels. Yeah, they're icons <laughs> of zombies, right? Uh, yeah, the, oh, the, another the, thing, zombie is one at, attribute type. Yes. And uh, aliens, zombies, and yeah, they all have different mohawks and glasses and beard types. And I mean, but you uh, buy, but you buy these, which I, which I don't understand because I see them all right here. I have them all. You you buy them so that if I if I click on the smiling zombie, which apparently you own, um, I can look at it. I could print it. I could do anything sure. I want with it. But you own it. That's right. Yeah, you could do the same thing with the get a high res uh, copy of the Mona Lisa and print it out and hang it up in your house, but but you don't have it. That's true. So it's like you yeah, got so the Mona Lisa of, of, of smiling zombies. Is that it? Yeah, I mean it's basically just a, a way to use the blockchain to prove that someone actually has ownership over something. So that makes a lot of sense. In ownership that by makes a lot cementing of sense. it in the blockchain. That's a real problem with artworks, with baseball cards, with any collectible is attribution and and uh, who owns it, but also is it real? Is it a, a and so blockchain yeah, kind of solves that. And the third piece that's really important is how many were made. I mean, right. one of the things that 
that happened in the the nineties around baseball cards and collectibles and comic books is, um, you know, there's a, there's a great story. We all of course know the, the very famous franchise of the Wolverine and the very first Wolverine comic is still $150. And I, I dug into this. I'm like, how this was made in the eighties. How can this possibly be? And it turns out they printed like something like 300,000 of them and didn't tell anyone <laughs> they sold as many as they could. And which makes sense as a business, but as a collectors, you didn't know that, you know? And so the blockchain gives you a way to say proven scarcity, proven right. ownership. Um, so that's, that's nice. So there is another way, uh, a biological way to, to barcode and to track authenticity and that's DNA. So you can spray uh, custom DNA on just about anything. It's odorless, it's colorless, it leaves no residue, it leaves no mark. Um, and then you have physical, so blockchain is great, but you know, it's there, not physical, a physical way. In fact, yeah, I mean, you could, the, yeah. the, the, the crypto punk is not in the blockchain, right? The image itself is not in the blockchain, Kevin, just the URL. Well, right. That's not true because the, with crypto punks, it was only a 25 by 25. Oh, they're so, so they small. You could put a hash <laughs> of the, okay. yeah, exactly. You I believe you're in. right in any modern, like the people's, all that stuff. It is just a pointer to like an IPFS type, uh, you know, asset. Right. Well, at least it's like, and there are problems. Go ahead. I was going to say, I think all of that works well as, as long as you have a ton of redundancy built in. But yeah, because if it's just one of the cool if things, it were a web URL, it could, you know, it, the server could go down. At least with IPFS, it's a distributed file system. And yeah. so in theory, or, it's not going to go away. You could spray DNA fragments. So um, I'm not going to ask you. <laughs> It's probably, it's not tr the traditional method of spraying DNA, I'm assuming. It's some other high, no, Leo, high tech that's method. not what I was talking about. <laughs> okay. That's where my mind went. Uh, it's a sneeze, right? You sneeze on it. Sure. I'm sure if you think about it, that uh, probably a few Van Goghs have his DNA on them. But you're probably. not talking about that. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I am... Um, you know, one of the really cool things that's happened, one of the positive after effects of the virus is that messenger RNA, which has been around forever, just, it finally found a use case, a business case. Um, so to, to make the vaccines with, in this case. That's right. And mRNA is, is a pretty cool technology um, that has some knock-on effects. And one of which is looking at um, RNA and DNA in, in sort of a new light. So, you can, DNA is like nature's hard drive. You can store a ton of stuff uh, in it um, and it doesn't go anywhere. Um, and, and likewise, you can use DNA as a tracking system. So if you've got a really valuable collection of comic books, not Wolverine, um, but something else more <laughs> valuable, you know, one way to physically mark products like that artifacts um, that you can authenticate in the future is, is using DNA fragments. One of the advantages of blockchain in this regard is it's distributed and uh, everybody has a copy. There's no, uh, with mm -hmm. DNA, you'd still have to have some registry somewhere of what the, what's, what's, what's in that RNA. If, I mean, it doesn't have to be RNA. It could be any yeah. encoding method for encoding a long digit String, right. I mean, it's right. like a, you can encode spores too. It's just, it's like a barcode. Um, but yeah. yes, you would still need, a, you would still need a registry that should be distributed. Um, that that but, works great for like individual objects, but if you're going to do something like say fractional ownership of a digital yeah. object, oh, like, you can't that would, do that. wouldn't be yeah. possible. Yeah. Um, you, you know, smart contracts enable things like artworks to change over time based on rule sets, like, like really kind of mm -hmm. fun things like that as well are, are, are pretty cool with some of the NFT stuff. I think uh, people, and I include myself in this, 
get distracted by trying to wrap their mind around, well, Beeple made a JPEG, which is infinitely reproducible, and then was able to sell it for $69.3 million uh, to somebody who now can claim ownership in some abstract way. And we get wrapped around this notion of collectibles, physical versus virtual objects and all of that. And you know, you can go either way on that. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm kind of of the opinion it's pretty speculative, and but so is so are collectibles. I mean, you don't buy a, a right. Hannes Wagner baseball card because it has any intrinsic value. Uh, you buy it because you think either you're really a big fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates or you think it's going to have more value in a, down the road, and you can sell it. It's a way of of storing value. Just like, unfortunately, a lot of artworks now are ways of storing value. They're not hung on any wall. They're stored in a a locker at some airport to avoid customs and uh, taxes. Uh, but they're a store of value, and you know you'll be able to sell them at some point, probably for more than you paid for it. Right. So I, I acknowledge that this is a good way to, this is a better, but blockchain is a better way to store value. But I think people like me get all <laughs> tied in a knot over this. Well, you, what are you kids doing? <laughs> this is this is this is silly. There's also, and let me ask you about this, Kevin, because you didn't address this in uh, modern finance. There's also an environmental concern, isn't there? I mean, there's a lot of energy cr- being used to create these things, and every transaction yeah. uses a lot of energy. I think I, the energy consumption of of proof of work blockchain has been known for for quite some time. I mean, there's there's it's horrible, and so I mean that's why. There's a lot of work and effort going into making these chains just eco-friendly. I mean, if you take a look at all the layer two scaling solutions for Ethereum, everything is they're doing with optimistic rollups. These are like very um, lightweight ways to do uh, cryptographically proven transfers without having to write it back to the main chain. So without spending a lot of resource power until we get to something that is um, proof of stake, which is not proof of work, which is not using very intensive CPU or GPUs to do all these transaction processing, which is on the Ethereum roadmap. I mean, this stuff is coming. It's been on the roadmap for a long time, though. Yeah, I I know. But you're also talking about, you know, uh, how many billions of dollars of you got to be very careful when you're when you're uh, changing directions of a, a plane of that size right like you if you're if you're setting a new destination like you don't want you want to really battle and harden the code and so you know there's been some eth2 is like there's they've crossed a couple of major milestones and staking is the next big one um, so and that will I'm eliminate the, uh, the grotesque energy expenditure. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and there's already other chains out there that like are getting a lot of traction that are already green from the get-go. Chia, Bram Cohen, the creator of BitTorrent, just launched his coin um, here just uh, four or five days ago. You actually uh, interview him for the- very efficient green- For the podcast. That? You just interviewed him for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a very efficient, super green cryptocurrency. Um, it's going to have support for um, smart contracts and other things on top of it. Uh, Solana, super, like talk about um, uh, high bandwidth, high throughput. They can do 50,000 transactions a second and it is super efficient and green. Um, so, you know, these these are all problems that are being worked out. But I, I certainly acknowledge that today it sucks, and of <laughs> course. Like, um, dependent upon where you're getting your energy from. Like, there are a lot yeah. of miners that will go next to very cheap uh, sources, sure. which can be hydroelectric. They can be, you know, solar. Um, be they're, they're mining sure. in those environments. Sure, sure. In fact, it only makes sense to, to mine where electricity is cheap because otherwise 
you're probably not making a profit. Right. <laughs> uh, it, it kind of brings up the issue of, uh, I saw some wag tweet, uh, Elon Musk said Tesla now will accept Bitcoin to purchase a, a Tesla automobile. And uh, of course, some wag pointed out that you, well, you might as well just put gas engines in them, Elon, because <laughs> you're not, if you're all the benefit, the environmental benefit of an electric vehicle is kind of abrogated by using Bitcoin to pay for them. Um, I mean, yes and no. I think that there's a couple things here. Like, what are the payment rails behind the scenes? If you're going, let's say, uh, I don't know what they're using for for on the on the merchant side to accept Bitcoin, but let's just say it's it's Coinbase, right? Yeah. Um, if you're going Coinbase to Coinbase, you're not doing anything. There's no you're conversion. You're actually writing yeah. to the chain, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's just staying within that that family. So mm, it depends. And, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and uh, somebody pointed out uh, that. You know, there's there's not inconsiderable energy usage in banking as well. I mean, you know, uh, we use a lot of energy for a lot of things, including Google searches, and we don't pay much attention to that. And that we got to pay attention to it all soon. Yeah, yeah, because it's not it's not sustainable in the long run. Uh, all right. Oh, hey, okay. As long as we're talking about this, one more question for you, because we uh, we're talking about uh, Bitcoin purchases uh, of Teslas on uh, the radio show with Sam Abul Samet, our car guy, and he said, you know, people should consider the tax consequences if the Bitcoin gets converted into dollars. Uh, the IRS is going to want capital gains tax on the difference between the basis and and what you what that Bitcoin was worth when you converted it. Is that right? That's right. They pay attention. Yeah, so to they're going to be shorter long-term cap gains depending on how long you've held it for. Right. So only spend your first Bitcoin, not your last. Right. Uh, first in, first out. <laughs> is that possible? I guess it is. I yeah, that's how well, the accounting software does that. You know, like oh, you tie I'll be any, Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, do you cover this in your uh, new report on trends? This has to be part of the way the world is we sure ch do. Chaining, changing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, right. So we, we produce the Future Today Institute uh, has for 14 years put out an annual tech trends report. Um, they're longitudinal and quantitative. So these tend not to be flashes in the pan, which is why we really wrestled with what to do this year around NFTs. Because uh, I, it's hard to my know. team and I did for a little bit. I think, I think the NFT is the modality of something different. I don't think that's that's the thing. Um, I think the thing is about how value is held digitally, and and this is just the current modality. But um, but yeah, so it's it's we have a there were so many aftershocks because of COVID that we wound up with twenty two percent more uh, twenty two percent increase in the number of trends that we cover. Holy cow! Um, so so we we crossed the five hundred mark this year in in trends and. Um, so we just we broke them up and and wrote uh, twelve separate reports. Um, so there is an entire report just on cryptos and uh, blockchains and uh, DLTs. A fintech report. Yep. yep. I'm looking at it right now. And there, by the way, nice little sketch of you, Amy. Thanks. We have uh, we work with a really amazing, talented um, art artist who's a futurist named Julia Durgey, and and she did. Uh, the hand-drawn illustrations and our creative director. I should have brought the uh, calendar you guys sent out in because it's really wonderful. Each month is a different illustrator and a different concept, and it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks. Um. All right. I don't. I. Uh, I don't even. I know. I know. So I understand this so poorly that I don't even know what questions to ask. So maybe we'll just <laughs> we'll just move on. Because <laughs> uh, is there. Well, so here, can I, can you, I add you, one NFTs thing? are a current manifestation, but you say it's a manifestation of something deeper. 
I do. And let's also, so CryptoKitties was what, 2017? My, yeah. right on my years. CryptoKitties. So, yeah, I remember them. They're still around, by um, the way. You can still buy a CryptoKitty. Sure. Yep. But I, my point is, and then, you know, it's good, it's good to remember when, it's good to think about the factors that are contributing to excitement when it bursts like it is right now in the space. So part of it is people are trapped inside um, and they are Yeah, it's are perfect interested. for quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing is this is not the first time we've seen this. This is um, at least the second. And so um, as far as I'm, you know, the work that we do, we're, we're usually not looking at the very first thing. We're looking at the offshoots of that first thing. Um, and and then what is the thing? So the the conversation about NFTs uh, and Ethereum are related, and and you know, trying to buy a Tesla with a bit Bitcoin, um, they're they're all related, and and all of these things have to do with how we um, create and store value in a way that uh, in in a way that makes sense over a long period of time. Uh, and so that's what's happening. So right now, everybody is pretty excited about uh, digital art, and that may shift um, to something else, and it may shift to something else. But ultimately, the underlying current here is how how value gets exchanged using new uh, new tech. Eventually, I would imagine blockchain or something like it will replace centralized ledger systems. Uh, no? You, know, I guess. I was at WEF, what, 2018? Or maybe it was 2017. I forget the year. Um, you know, uh, cryptos tied to fiat currency, tied to uh, national initiatives was being talked about a lot. Um, so, and, you know, China was talking about throwing some of its sovereign wealth fund at, at um, its own version of a, a national crypto. So, um, and Singapore has had some sort of nation state experiments already. So I, I think that this is just, like many things, right? This is a this is a diff, a change, a fundamental change um, that'll just you know sort of take some time to sort out. Yeah, we've already seen national banks uh, in many countries, including our own, uh, say, "Yeah, uh, stablecoin," because we don't want the volatility. Mm -hmm. uh, but stablecoin is going to be okay for something. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't we, we, will, will we ever have a, a crypto based? Uh, Currency in a, a national currency is that going to happen? I lived in China when I lived in Hong Kong when there were two currencies. Um, there were two different banknotes issued. One was HSBC, and the other one was um, the the I forget the other one, Bank of China. Um, and it was kind of a pain in the neck. <laughs> so um, I don't I don't know that I want uh, lots of different currency types. Yeah, one's um, enough. Well, but the question is, Kevin kind of brought this up a, a moment ago, but like, what, what would it make, what would it take for something like that to work? And um, the back end processing that you would need, you know, th think of how long it took the United States just to get to contactless payment. Right. Stay, and we're still not And we're still there. not there. It's, no, it's here's a crazy statistic. I, I was just talking to somebody who's a sign. banking executive and fewer than 10%. It's a, it's single digits. It's a very, very low number of the people in the United States who use Apple pay, even though the penetration rate of iPhones is quite high. Um, so we're just, we're just not, we're not there. It's hard for those of us in the bubble and probably all three of us are in the bubble. And certainly most of our listeners to understand that because I use Apple pay for every moment I yeah. can. 
uh, online and in re- in real world stores. But uh, it just seems so obvious and convenient. I mean, we will have to have a national digital currency. Like, there's no doubt. I mean, that's the future. Why? Well, are we just going to keep just going to keep paper forever? Like, it's yeah. just not going to. It's 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 already happened, and that we have a stable coin that that represents the dollar and that works. Um, is it expensive on Ethereum? Yes. Is it expensive on Solana? No. And it's the same stable coin. It's uh, you know backed by Coinbase. They're doing the uh, all the bookkeeping for that. But I would imagine the U.S. government has to eventually issue. A, a national digital currency. I mean, that's China is working on it. They're going to do it. Um, and then also, I mean, what better way to attack the the value of the dollar than for Russia and China and you know other countries to buy up Bitcoin? I mean, and try and create a global standard that is not the dollar. Oh, interesting. It's, um, I oh, mean, it's already happening. Like for the first time in Q4 of last year. We saw more institutional money going into buying Bitcoin than retail for the first time. That's massive. And you think Tesla is going to stop? And of course not. It's going to, or do you think Tesla is going to be the only one and square? It's going to be Google buying it, Amazon buying it, like more and more institutions, wealthy family offices, like hedge funds, they're all going to be buying up this crypto. And I don't know. I just have a feeling governments are are not far behind. And when that happens, it's it's game on. Like it, that's that's war against the dollar, which is going to get really crazy. Is it politically right. difficult too? Because there are certain <laughs> look, there are a lot of people out there who think the vaccine is going to insert a chip in your arm that Bill Gates is going to use to follow you around. There's clearly a, a lot of people, especially in the United States, who are very skeptical of anything that's not printed on paper, right? Uh, and and I think the notion of cash and the anonymity of the true anonymity of cash and all that drives a lot of people. I think politically it might be difficult to 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 persuade people to give up cash. It's not that you would have to give it up. It would just be it's it's just almost as it is today. Slow, yeah, like just, you're not, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're there's you're no money in the pay. bank. I don't have any money in right. the bank. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know. It's bits. It's bits in the bank. It's bits already. Well, Nobody wants to think about that, by the way. That's a terrifying thought. (laughs) There's the currency and then there's the paint, there's the transaction and then there's the FIs supporting all of it. So um, on the one hand, so Kevin's absolutely right. There there are actually quite a few countries that are already pushing much further ahead than we are on um, a national crypto of some kind. You know, a lot of this just goes back to belief. It's all fiat. uh, that's what fiat means. It's Latin for belief. Right. And right. so, uh, yeah. Uh, but I was going to say on the flip side of this. So, right. So in New York, um, I don't know, like two years ago, uh, a lot of places stopped taking cash and now they all have to take cash again. So um, why do they have to take cash again? Uh, because it turns out a lot of people are unbanked or underbanked and they yeah. don't have a way to digitally Well, that's transact. another issue. Yeah. Right. Is that that, so, that that is being fixed so fast. Like, look at what Square has done there. I mean, they are just crushing it. Yeah, but what if you don't even have a smartphone? What do you, I mean. I mean, you, you know, the prices of smartphones and everything. I mean, it's just coming down to next to nothing. If to get an Android phone, Android phone. Actually, like, there's, there's the, the data show that there's not a very high correlation between your socioeconomic income level and your smartphone adoption. Oh. Meaning people who are on the very low end still have smartphones. Just that it's, it's not unnecessary. About money. Yeah. Right. But there are people who are will will be left out by a digital transformation, aren't there? I don't know who um, those I, would be, but 
the 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 data on that skew more toward people who just don't have the the digital literacy. So if anything, right, right. like that's people what, like the age. thing that's holding back cryptos right now is that people don't quite grok cryptos, right? right? They right. don't understand how to get them or use them. So if somebody's listening to this and poo-pooing it and saying, ah, oh, it probably behooves you to figure it out now. Yeah, start to think about it. You think? Well, I mean, the, the whole thing, a- Amy, you're right. The, the, there's a lot of people that don't grok it. And I think that's, those are, the, those are the rough edges that are being sanded out over the last, you know, couple of years. I mean, the fact that you can go with everybody, you know, people that have a PayPal account have no idea what crypto is. Right. They can just go in there and with two clicks own cryptocurrency like that. That is amazing. Like from where we were a few years ago in the world of crypto, it was so hard to set up your own wallet and everything right. else you had to do to get crypto. Right. I mean, in Square Cash, they... They do these, uh, Square has just been so brilliant here where they do these little, um, these bonuses where they'll say, you can go and we'll, get, we'll send you a debit card. So you get a Visa debit card for your Square account. So you still don't have a bank account, but someone sent you some Square cash, you were babysitting, whatever it may be. Um, you enable one of these little boosts, boosts they call them, and they'll say 10% or actually they have one 15% Bitcoin back on your coffee shop purchase. So you go use your Visa card and then all of a sudden for the first time, you're like, wait a second, I own Bitcoin now? And you click on the tab for the first time and you realize you you don't have to have $55,000 to buy Bitcoin. You can buy Bitcoin for $2 or $5 and they just make it super simple. And it just the on-ramps are getting that much easier for the average consumer. Right, and it's the use cases, it's, it's the use case on the spending side that still needs to be worked out. Um, and, yeah. and I think part of the part of the problem with people not paying contactless is, is has less to do with the individual individual consumer and more to do with merchant merchant services and the terminals. I just it's t- it's taken a really really long time for merchants to to switch over their term their POS terminals. That's a yeah. big part of the problem. So like it's fine. I mean I've got a bunch of different I, <laughs> I've got I'm I'm holding a bunch of different options right. Um, and I can't do anything, not really with any of it. One of my friends who's probably listening at some point this week, uh, who uh, had had set up a mining operation and built, um, he mined enough that I think he bought most of a car uh, with it, but it, it was, it required like multiple transactions to get to the point where he could complete that purchase. So that's getting easier though. That's Kevin's point is the infrastructure. I don't. I don't is so, for my, I, that's one place where I kind of like disagree. I don't. Okay. I don't know that it is getting e- easier relative to what. Um, in order for it to move from fringe to mainstream, it has to be. You, you have to hit critical mass, and and. I think there's know. also a psychological hurdle that might even be more intractable, but maybe that's because I'm older than you guys. But I think that. Uh, you know, there's also a psychological hurdle to self-driving cars. <laughs> I don't want to get in that thing. There's no driver. There's no steering wheel. Uh, there, there's this psychological hurdle that, well, who owns this? Where does it exist? And how do I know I'm not getting ripped off? Yeah, but nobody understands the Fed. <laughs> like, that's that's fine until you Yeah, but you we, all to have... we all do but it. We all do it. So we assume somebody must understand it because we all... It's time. It's time. It's time. It's time. It's, time. Ta- it's, it's yeah. amount of time with an idea. Because mm-hmm. if you stop and ask, how does the Fed to it. work? Yeah. How does how does like macroeconomics work? No. It doesn't. Your brain will hurt, no. right? Um, people have a rough idea. It. They say, well, they print money. It's slightly inflationary. <laughs> I mean, people have a very no. People don't understand economics. They have a very rough idea. But there is a sense of security because everybody. It's the way we do it. Everybody does it. So you're saying in yeah. time. 
it'll be the way we do things and everybody will go, oh yeah, fine. That's fine. That's BTC. Yeah. I, I calculate it by Thanksgiving dinners, like three Thanksgiving dinners ago, like three people were asking me how I, they can buy Bitcoin. Now at Thanksgiving dinner, everyone's talking about what, what's the price going to go to. And there are, everybody already has it. I feel it. like that's <laughs> driven by speculation. That's driven fundamentally by greed. Like how do I get in on this so I could be another Bitcoin mm -hmm. billionaire? It's driven by speculation. That worries me a little bit. Yeah. And so does the stock market. You know, it's all. Oh, yeah. It worries me also. <laughs> and by the way. I just consider it another asset class. I think, it, you know, it's silly to think that this is going away. And so for me, it's like, what percentage of my yeah. overall portfolio yeah. does this make up? Do you, you diversify into cyberpunks, crypto punks? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and you but, actually but can like do sneakers. that. Sneakers. I was going to say, like, sneakers are asset classes, too. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's what we it's what we ascribe value to. I know. I was talking to Christina Warren about her crazy sneaker thing. Uh, and she does that whole thing online where they bit and all. And it's like I finally feel like my grandfather going, I don't get what you kids are up to. <laughs> is she is she buying to wear or to resell? Uh, I think she's actually just buying to wear. Somebody, by the way, has to buy to use as opposed to buy to speculate or the, or it just does become completely un, untethered to reality. At some point, everything has to have some utility. There's no point in having, I th it's, it, it, then it's well, just, but that's, that's the thing with floss. art, right? You don't, I mean, the painting I've got hanging up over there doesn't have utility. There's utility. But you at value least can look at it. <laughs> yeah. And I agree. You can have a perfect copy of the Mona Lisa on your wall, indistinguishable from the original. It'd be a lot easier to see it than going to Paris and waiting in line at the Louvre. Yeah, and looking at well, it they, from what, like, what do they make you stand back, like, 50 feet now yeah, through, like, yeah. double bulletproof glass? Yeah. <laughs> I like to stand there and just watch everybody go, it's so small. <laughs> right. So you can print it big. You can <laughs> you can make it big. And then it'll make you happy. I don't I don't know. I just, I just, I feel like... Uh, this is one of those wild things where, uh, right. So, so this is what, so as a futurist, right, this is a moment when if, so Leo, what you're describing right now is what we would call a strong signal. Um, so there's enough of a change. It's happened pretty quickly that the, the best possible thing to do is to stop and ask a whole bunch of questions. Um, what is this thing? How is this thing having next order impacts already? Uh, how does this thing change the value network of, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, how does this thing impact my business, my portfolio, my perception, whatever, you know, yeah. um, you got to stop and ask a whole bunch of questions. And I think the issue is that there's a, a certain amount of knowledge being accumulated um, by one end um, of the spectrum of people and everybody else tuning out, tuning in like on the morning talk shows because right. it's sensationalist, right. sound, sensationalist sounding, everybody else tuning out. So what you wind up with on the other side of this is a fairly wide gap in knowledge, which is not good either because now you've got two deficiencies. Not only do you yeah. not hold cryptos, but now yeah. you also don't, you see, yeah. you're that much further away from understanding. Yeah. 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 As soon as the AARP explains it, then I'll know. We're going to take a little break. I am so glad you guys are here because uh, it's always an education for me and I hope uh, for all of you as well. Amy Webb from the Future Today Institute, uh, Kevin Rose from True Ventures and his new podcast, Modern Finance. I thought I understood all this. I listened to episode one. I thought it all made sense and now I'm confused again. <laughs> I'll have to listen to another episode.
Our show today, thank you both for being here. Our show today uh, brought to you by, here's something I understand, foreign languages. Speaking another tongue, it's, it's good for your brain, it's good for you, it's great if you like to travel, but chances are there are people around you who speak another language you'd like to be able to communicate to, and I'm going to recommend Babbel, which is the absolute best way to learn a language. I did Babbel for French, and I'm doing Babbel for Spanish. It's really useful in California to be able to speak Spanish. Uh, it's the number one selling language learning app, and I can tell you exactly why. It makes the process easy and fun. 15-minute lessons. I do one every night before I go to bed, so I'll remember it. I do the review the next morning to make it sink in. It is fantastic. And unlike the language classes you took in high school, Babbel designs their courses with, you know, you're never in French going to say, my aunt's pen. But everybody, for some reason in high school, learns la plume de ma tante. Not in Babbel. You learn practical, real-world phrases you'll use in everyday life. Beginners start with typical greetings like, hello, how are you? And build up to practical dialogues like, how can I book a single room? There's listening, there's speaking, there's flashcards, there's writing. Here, let's let's listen to a phrase because... Uh, Let's see. Let me turn up the sound here. I always turn off my phone so uh, I can do the show, but you're gonna, I want you to hear this. Asia. Say it again. Asia. Asia. Oh, boy. That's Spanish. They have, by the way, Mexican Spanish and Spanish Spanish. Uh, Asia. Okay, I got it right. Whoop, say it again. Yo. Yo, that's I. Got that one right. Yo. It's fun. It's actually a gamify language learning. They've designed these with real language experts, unlike other language learning apps which use AI for their lessons plans. Uh, Babbel was created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching methods scientifically proven to be effective. You can choose from 14 different languages. I mentioned Spanish and French. There's also Italian and German. Many more. Gracias. Gracias. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you improve your pronunciation and accent. And then one of the things I really love they've added on, on the Babbel is you can actually join group conversations with native speakers and other learners. That's the absolute best way to get fluent in a language. I love Babbel. Real world, but, but, but real effective. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. Six months for the price of three. And believe me, in six months, you'll be you'll be babbling along in whatever language you choose. It's amazing. Go to Babbel.com. Use the promo code TWIT, B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Promo code TWIT for three extra months free. Babbel is language for life. Kevin Rose is here. I got two of the smartest people in the world. I got to use uh, I got to use them in a good way. Let's see. Let me ask all the I'm going to ask all the hard questions. Should Microsoft buy Discord for 10 billion dollars and why would they? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Are it you is, a Discord is, user? Oh, I'm a huge fan. I'm on there all the time. This is where every single cryptocurrency project calls their home. Like they use Discord servers. Every open source project the, too. Yeah, exactly. Open source projects. It's just, it's really gaining a ton of momentum and the, how you can extend it in very unique ways with their API. 
Um, there's just some really cool stuff going on there. It's uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I, at first, I thought it was just going to be all you know, all gaming. It started that kinda, way. It started, it started that way, way. Yeah. but it, it's extended much much further than that now. So I'm, I think it's a great pickup for them. I don't think they'll get it for ten billion, but I think it's a no. A in fact, up. I think what happened. I'm just guessing. You might know better because you know how these things work. Is that Discord is considering an IPO, uh, but they thought, well, let's float a dollar amount <laughs> and see if we can get anybody to buy us. Uh, and then if not, well, we'll do the IPO and we'll make that much money uh, anyway. It's interesting, though, the reason uh, Microsoft is in the hunt, and apparently the, uh, the conversations aren't currently ongoing, but the reason Microsoft's in the hunt is very interesting. Satya Nadella, uh, last month in an interview, said that the future was going to be all about creation, he said the past technology has been about consumption, watching Netflix on your iPad, for instance, but that the future lies in creation, which is why Microsoft tried to buy TikTok, which is why Microsoft tried to buy Pinterest and why Microsoft is now trying to buy Discord. Um, I guess I guess that makes sense. Um, it, it wouldn't be the most expensive thing they've bought, but one of the most expensive would be right up there. I think it'd be the number two biggest acquisition, much more than they spent for Nokia or GitHub. Um, maybe even like LinkedIn would be the only thing that was bigger, I think. Amy, I think is the future in chat? Is that, is that? So a couple, couple things. First of all, according to Microsoft two years ago, the future was AI. So the future changes. Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> Constantly. Um, but if you, if you, you know, if you look at what, if you look at this possible acquisition as part of a broader constellation, here's where I think it gets interesting. So Microsoft is already, uh, the invisible infrastructure powering Azure. Of our everyday lives. Their network right? service. Yeah. It's Azure. It's, it's the back end of Crestron. Yeah. I mean, it's, we don't think about it, but it, it's not as know, big as AWS, but it's, but it's probably number well, two. Well, but it's, right? it's not just, it's not just cloud. Um, it's core infrastructure and so many, it's, it's, it's a lot, right? If, if Facebook goes away tomorrow, you have a lot of small business collapse. You've got, you know, part of an, a social ecosystem collapse, but the world doesn't stop functioning. If Microsoft had some kind of catastrophic issue and, and poofed off the face of the planet, you know, we, we don't, uh, much of business operations, critical infrastructure no longer works without Microsoft. So what I think is very interesting is that, uh, you know, it's got Git, it's um, it, Discord is I'm on Discord for other reasons, but um, so you've got you've got Discord. Microsoft you used is to also use. Built let me ask you, actually, Keybase? parenthetically, you used to use Keybase for yeah. a secure chat with other parents and friends. Yeah. You use Discord now for that? I'm I'm I started on Discord because of DEF CON. So um, that's that's, that's why. where you I don't that's really, where you could follow the DEF CON. Yeah, conference. I just yeah. Uh, it's not my favorite platform, but I'm I'm. I'm on it. Um, Keybase got but, sold to Zoom. Are you still using Keybase? Uh, yeah. They didn't yeah. change. They're still around. Yeah. I yeah. don't know if they're spending any energy on it. But in terms of content creation, I don't. I don't think that's the story. I think that's the story related to this particular um, set of purchases. Azure has a farm, so so they're building out cloud for um, precision agriculture out in the field. Yeah, that's right. A wild so, uh, to, in order yeah. to automate farming, yeah. which it right. gets no pickup or coverage, they've also built. It was Microsoft that's trying to figure out how to use DNA to store 
um, unimaginable amounts of data. So I think if you look at this constellation of things, which at first seemed very unrelated, the, the story possibly into the future is that Microsoft is trying to figure out how to be the sort of next, next infrastructure structure layer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is a smart move. Yeah, that's Very what smart. xCloud is about. Their streaming gaming service is, is And there's about, a lot of growth. Is about that and, as and much as it is about gaming. Yeah. Um, so I don't think this is like... And I don't. I don't think Microsoft. I think TikTok is a, is a something totally separate. Um, but all I always assumed they would together. want something like TikTok for the data, for the uh, just like LinkedIn so, and and you know. I think that's part of it, but Microsoft also has effectively its own corporate um, foreign service department, its own sort of Department of State within the company. In fact, it poached a lot of people from from the State Department. So I think I think Microsoft is is playing a slightly bigger. Um, different game and TikTok would have been a, a pretty nice bargaining chip to have, to have had. Kevin, the chat room. And I, I think a lot of our audience uh, says they prefer matrix and uh, element, which is an open source chat platform instead. What, what is discord's closed source advantage over matrix for instance? I haven't used a lot of the others. I basically go where the projects are, like where the founders are creating these new communities. And then Discord is just pretty much the standard, at least in the cryptocurrency space, which is where I spend probably, right. you know, 80% right. of my time evaluating right. new deals. And so um, it, it, it's, I can't compare it to the others, but I will say some of the mechanics around what they've done with it in terms of the moderation and the bot integrations. Uh, I'll give you one really wild example. There was a Discord that to join, someone created an ERC-20 token on Ethereum, and you had to own one of these tokens. <laughs> and so if you owned one of these tokens and it was in your wallet, you could join, but the bot would then go and look at your wallet on the blockchain, confirm that you own the token to let you into the actual oh, that's clever. chat group. That's better and than so a if password. you ever sold your token, <laughs> yeah, but you could sell your token to someone else and they go up and then value. So if the group's becoming more valuable, yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. So some of the stuff I just see being done there is is super creative. Somebody in the chat room uh, posted uh, an article uh, about Azure saying that one of the reasons tech pundits have a hard time understanding all of the fingers and all the pies that Microsoft has is because it isn't the same as AWS. Is that, Amy, is that what you're saying? It's more than just cloud. Yeah. Um, again, I, Microsoft, I know, is not the world's sexiest company. Uh, however. It's getting sexier. They're it's getting, it's getting sexier. sexier. It is. It is. <laughs> it's got DNA. It's got DNA. Um, yeah, all over it. Yeah. So I think I think part of it is I don't know. I don't know if that's an apt comparison because AWS is its own unruly, enormous thing too. Yeah. And and yeah. Amazon in many ways is just as um decentralized in terms of all the work it's doing. But Azure, it th there is something called farm beats. So this is something they are specifically building for connected farming uh, equipment. Um, to enable a future of precision agriculture, which effectively means you don't have a bunch of farmhands and all the traditional people that you would need. You've got engineered crops that produce 10x the yield and require a fraction of the of the resources. Um, you know, that, it's are, kind of, that maybe your two farmers are, are sitting in Bangladesh. It's kind uh, of basically in an investment in what they see as uh, uh, what is going to be a next the next big thing. 
is fine. Right. And, and, and if you think about the next big things in terms of not opportunity, but risk, I think that's where some of this becomes more clear. We know that we've got uh, extreme climate change and, and uh, extreme weather events. We know that we have uh, food insecurity. We have a, the global supply of food is, is, you know, um, at risk right now. So if you're thinking about your markets, you know, 10, 15 years into the future, some of this starts to make more sense. It's also it's crazy how I, I feel like as, as, as an engineer, I, I see uh, entrepreneurs that say, well, I choose the solution based on what I'm building, right? Like if you're going right, yeah. for some of the, uh, the ML models that Google offers, you know, with, with their custom silicon, or, or you want to even go with AWS, they're doing their own custom chips that are super efficient, low power, cheaper than, you know, uh, six chips. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, 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 you know, you kind of have to look and say, what am I building and, and who has the best solution for that? Right. Right. Uh, it also and might explain. a little different. We talked about this a month ago, why Bill Gates is the number one farmland owner in America. Did you know that, Amy? He uh, owns 242,000 acres of farmland. It's a good investment. It Yes and no. Um, I think a lot of the future of farming will be indoors and underground. So they're yeah. huge indoor plant factories. Again, once Salt mines have, full of vertical uh, farming. Yeah. And just, instance. you know, we're, yeah. we're pretty close to being able to engineer... Um, we, we can already use synthetic biology to engineer crops in, in new ways. And we we have many more people on the planet. We have the, the conditions used to determine how to grow things are less and less stable, meaning we have worse weather. You know, a fifth of all garments that are made of cotton are, I think I've got this wrong, a fifth of all the, yeah, one out of five garments basically relies on, on cotton from China which is my way of saying you've got geopolitical instability huge, huge and issue. global supply chains. Yeah. yeah. So all of this starts to make a little bit more sense if, if what you're aiming for is easier geopolitics and better sustainability and better certainty in conditions, then yeah, you want to, instead of like sourcing your cotton from Western China and then maybe it gets stuck on a barge in the, the you know, the Panama Canal, um, you know, instead you, you, uh, you know, instead you, you, you grow these things underground or in warehouses and um, you reduce a lot of that uncertainty. By the way, let's it's just quickly Canal. check because we're keeping an eye on that, that ship in the Suez Canal. Is the yeah. ship still stuck.com? Yes. <laughs> Cost us so far $53 billion in uh, shipping that's stalled. Behind the there's uh, autonomous, so that's a that's an that's a problem that a so there's a bunch of companies. IBM is one of them that is working on um, full autopilot shipping capabilities. I don't know if it would have helped in that situation, but here's a here's as long as we're doing the ever given story. Here's a website uh, John found for me: evergiven-everywhere.glitch.me. You could take the uh, ever given and put it anywhere. You want blocking any harbor you want. You can rotate it, make the boat bigger, make it smaller, and you can just fit it right in. There's a new, there's the New York Harbor will just block up Manhattan right there with the Ever Given. And actually, if I make it to scale, it's a lot smaller. So we're gonna have to find a, a special right there. Just put it right there. That'll, that'll have it block the Lincoln Tunnel. That'll make everything yeah, much gonna, better. 
that is a that is a wild story, I have to say. Um, okay, let's move along. We just talked about Microsoft buying uh, Discord. Let's and we mentioned Amazon. I guess we could. So this is one of the one of the problems I'm starting to face in uh, in the stuff we've covered. This has changed a lot. That Kevin's is used to be on Twitter. Used to be about computers, smartphones, you know, technology. The technology story has really broadened. Uh, for instance, now we know the documents show Amazon is aware that drivers pee in bottles and even defecate en route. Is that a tech story? <laughs> I don't think so. That may not be, but the robots, the pacing robots that they filed a patent on, which I've got on my desktop, I'll try to find it. Um, the They've been working on haptic wristbands and, and pacing robots for warehouses to, to help the human workers move faster. Pacing, um, that's a nice way to put it. Is it is well, it have a cattle prod attached to it? How does it keep the humans um, working faster? No, because it, it slowly or I guess quickly speeds itself up uh, if people aren't moving. Oh my God. You mean, is it like a conveyor or is it the, the pick and the pickers robots? It's, it's for the pickers, but what's the bigger story here? What's the more interesting piece? The more interesting piece is that um, I think the assumption is that it's robots that ultimately obviate humans in these environments. They're going to drive humans. Well, like, like mules, right. It's the robots it's the computer systems, which is why this is a computer story. The computer systems that are making the cognitive decisions. And at the moment, human labor is cheaper, yes. easier, you know, yeah. um, and, and it's the humans acting like robots. And it's infinitely uh, replaceable. Humans are fungible. And uh, so uh, you wear one out, you just go out and get another one, apparently. It's actually, there's a tie-in story to that because Amazon is also requiring its drivers to sign uh, agreements to allow themselves to be monitored by cameras to make sure they're paying attention, which I think is probably a reasonable safety precaution. But that's that same note, that same idea, that same mindset of, oh, you just plug in the humans, but we'll have the machines keep track of everything they're doing to make sure they're they're doing a good job. Um, is 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 it a, just a stopgap? Eventually, the robots will become good enough. We don't need the humans anymore. That was Uber's model, right? Get rid of the drivers. So again, eventually. what would it take for? What would it take for a machine to totally obviate uh, a human? And uh, not only does it require technical competence, but you have to have analog fallbacks and, and fail-safes, and then you've got a regulatory hurdles and you've got actuarial problems because everything has to get insured. So, you know. Sounds like maybe we should stick with the humans. Just let the robots well, I think that's what prod them along. A lot of people... <laughs> Yeah, but cheaper. But at some point, yes. And at some point, if we have a machine doing something more efficiently, better, more repetitively, right, um, over and over and over again, that you know, that makes our lives better than than we use a calculator, right? We no longer do long division by hand. Right. Right. It's an interesting world we live in. If if any, if nothing else. So those are the tech stories, because that really is how tech is is changing the world we live in. I think those are much more uh, uh, interesting. At least they're more in our uh, in our wheelhouse, so to speak. Uh, there, in other words, there's a lot of Amazon union stories. Tesla's in trouble for the same kind of labor anti labor practices. 
it's not a tech story. I'm going to leave those out. Those that's a that's a union story. But the larger story is that these companies don't don't really they don't think of workers as people. They're more cogs in a machine, and they just happen to be very nicely tuned. They have fingers and yeah. You know. Well, there is a tech story. So that that because. Um, over the, I guess it was Friday, uh, three unions at Condé Nast um, voted 98% to go on strike. So that was ours, Pitchfork, and the New Yorker, I think. Ours is going on strike? Wow. Yeah. New Yorker they is voted going on, on strike? Wow. On Friday. So but the tech story is related to the GameStop um, uh, trading that happened. And that is, you know, we organize in new ways now. We've got totally different ways of... Um, of sharing ideas and information. We've got people who have been playing multiplayer games now for a decade um, and know how to organize for tactical attacks. So I would say all of these things are related to how, how we organize online, which is fundamentally different than how we were doing that 10 years ago. Well, and social media has really given us a very effective tool for online organizing. I mean, if it weren't for uh, Reddit, I don't think, uh, you know, GameStop would have taken off. It was it was because Reddit existed that these people could gather together and plan their assault. Twitter and Facebook as well. Um, I would say well, also the tools on the Robinhood side, right? Because before that's the other side you, too. Yes, remember to do options trading used to require like a five page right. like you know questionnaire. You'd have to figure fill out at your brokerage, and now right. it's like you could have an instant Robinhood account and do very complex trades that the average consumer should not be touching with a couple little clicks. You know, it's very easy to do options, much easier than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, I think the so, brokerage was trying to protect you, right? To make sure that you understood right. the risk you were uh, in, involved in. Do you think Robinhood's culpable for making it easy? Uh, you know, there are a number of people who think Robinhood made it too easy. It's tough. It's tough because in some sense, you want people to have access to right. some of these tools. Why should only um, rich people right. be able to use this? But then should Robinhood be the one? So, So the interesting thing, from my vantage point, was that when trading became so volatile and the volume was so high, it wasn't the SEC that stepped in. Um, Robinhood made a decision, and it, it's it happened at around the same time that that AWS kicked Parler off. Robinhood um, was forced to make the decision though, because they didn't they would have to have enough cash on hand, right, to back well, those trades. They still made a decision, and the the difference here is that if you look at some of these things together, the, normally these are in, you know are institutions that would have made those decisions, right. and instead they're not. So, in fact, just it's as quite we've the got opposite. DDoS, the, when the Jobs Act passed, that was one of the things that made it a much lower bar for investors. Right? Uh, they allowed other people without a million dollars in the bank to uh, to invest. Changed it changed everything. Is it illegal for Robinhood to make it this easy for option investing, or is it just something the, the big? Well, if it was Ill- illegal, they wouldn't have been yeah, allowed it, to do it's it. It's legal, right? right? So I think the the but the to me, what does it mean when a company shuts off access? So one of the things we've I've noticed is a what I would call a CDOS, um, a corporate denial of service. Versus a DDoS <laughs> I like attack. it. I like it. Um, but we're we're going to be seeing more of those, I think, because. Um, sometimes you build a product, the product is successful, it solves, it's a solution, right? But you don't think about the knock-on effects. You don't think about dual use, new ways in which these things could go wrong. And quite frankly, nobody, I mean, I work with these companies all the time. They they don't want to have that conversation. 
Um, and increasingly, a lot of lawyers uh, and risk officers also don't want to have that conversation because they don't want it on record that they thought about these things that might go wrong and then somebody could sue them after the fact. Um, but we can't stick our heads in the in the sand and, and assume that everything will go well forever. I mean, you know, there's always some kind of problem on the horizon that has to be dealt with. Kevin, is you, do you feel like Robinhood is a good thing for uh, normal people or, a, or does it make it too easy? Well, I mean, I think that there's certainly, um, well, there's a, there's a couple of different things. One, the fractional ownership of, of very expensive companies, I think is an important thing for the average consumer to be able to do. Um, you know, it's important that if I don't have enough money to, to buy a single share of, you know, Berkshire or something that I can still go and do that in a five or $10 way. Right. Um, the options, uh, I, 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 is, I feel like there needs to be at least another hurdle of understanding, you know, that before people can get involved there. But, but that said, it wasn't the, the options trading that that was the problem. It was the coordinated attack. But even then, I don't know that, uh, I don't know if you can really consider that a problem. Like what, what went wrong? Was there something that really went wrong there? The, 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 the system functioned as planned. Robinhood got a little bit of heat, and they apparently had to put off their IPO. But I think that that's passed now, right? That that I don't know if people blame Robinhood still, right? But if you had just left that going and just let let that war continue, um, what what would break? I, I mean, I get that some people, well, people would lose money, would be left holding. Yeah, sure, but would that be the hedge funds? I mean, well, it's hard to tell, isn't it? Well, that's what about part the of it. It's, it's very opaque. What about GameStop? What about the company? Yeah. I mean, how does this affect them at all? Well, if you've got people's bonuses tied to people's, you know, salary. Tied, tied to the stock price. Yeah. 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 All, all it allows them to do is raise capital very easily, right? They can just go out and issue new shares and, and have a, a lot more capital in the books. But nobody's going to invest in this company. There's no reason for GameStop to exist. It's at 181 where... bucks still. <laughs> I don't understand it myself. <laughs> somebody's it is. Somebody's but if you look at what it. Sony, I mean, look at what all the other companies are doing. They're all moving to subscription-based models. Yeah. Microsoft, right? So yeah. you know, think about this in the longer term. This is, I think, the issue. Uh, th well, that's kind of to me. This is again the word speculation comes to mind that people aren't really worried about. GameStop as a company, uh, they're concerned about the stock and whether the stock's going to go up and whether they're going to buy it at a price that allows them to make money when they sell it. That's a it'll be interesting calculus. if the new if the new land grabs over the next couple of years, if these new wars are fought over companies like GameStop versus countries like whoever got invaded recently. You know, if that's if that's if that's it's interesting I think, to think we're about. already seeing that. Look at China and its soft power. We've talked about this before, Amy. Uh, China's never going to invade the United States, but they don't necessarily need to or want to. No, no, they, they don't can exert to. their power economically. Really, it's a, it's economic power. They already well, I mean, are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The GameStop uh, investment thesis is. I, I agree with you. I mean, if you take a look at earnings and, and where everything is going, nothing to do with fundamentals. Digital, yeah, right. Nothing to do with fundamentals. But at the same time. You have a collection of people that said GameStop was part of my childhood. I don't ah, want this to go away. Interesting. So I'm going to put money into it. Yeah. And I, I don't see anything wrong with that. That's and part that of its keeping value. keeping the company afloat. Yeah. 
part of the value is the brand value. Right. That's that's a, that's another fundamental. Uh, it's I just I, again this is another. <laughs> I'm not buying it. I'm, I'm You're not. not I'm, no game. No, you, you'll buy you'll buy CryptoPunks, but not GameStop. <laughs> CryptoPunks was the very first <laughs> digital art. There'll never be another one. There'll never be another first. That's, That's actually right. drives a lot of NFTs, doesn't it? The first. Yeah, especially on the on the CryptoPunk side. I mean, yeah. they're the ones that define the standard. So, you know, that that's why I hold a couple of them. I mean, it's not any crazy amount of my overall net worth, but I, I have a, a few of them. Is it a know? diversification strategy for you, though? I mean, is it part of your... Well, if you want to do that, then it gets even crazier, Leo, down the rabbit hole. Here you go. Okay. Uh, you can basically take and buy in. There's a, a, a site called NFTX, which would, people transfer their CryptoPunks into like a, a smart contract that then wraps them all together and you hold a token that holds a diversified pool of underlying CryptoPunks. So you can, <laughs> so as they appreciate. So you, you have CryptoPunk so derivatives? Is that's what you're saying? Uh, basically, yeah. It's just, <laughs> what could possibly I feel like this is wrong? like you have a pr- fractional ownership of like somebody's pile of Beanie Babies. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, that's, it's funny you mentioned that, Amy. Babies. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this. So yeah. this is the crazy story. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan rookie card, the physical rookie card, not some crazy digital thing. Yeah. Um, you know, it was uh, $15,000, $20,000 a year ago, and now they're going for a million dollars. Wow. And part of, part of why that jump happened, people are saying, is because a lot of these fractional ownership sites went online that said, we have a vault, we will yeah. store your Michael Jordan rookie card, and you can own a small, very, a $10 chunk of it, a $50 chunk yeah. of it. And all of a sudden, all these people that couldn't it, afford it, it, it can now It increases the probable pool of money. That's right. Well, that's right. Exactly, exactly what happened with that exactly. $69, $69 million people was he sold off shares in the, what is it, B plus? He was able to sell off fractional ownership of that so interesting yeah yeah interesting i think he made money and isn't that what it's all about people's doing all right (laughs) (laughs) that's an amazing people is that's an amazing story that's just a wild story in some ways i i like it because it is at least rewarding creativity right i mean this guy is very creative he's an artist so in some ways at least the artist is in front uh so that's good you know, I still think a lot of the stuff that's going on is speculative, not not a, a part of. Yeah, I mean, essentially what's happening with NFTs and this is this is the the downside or the scary side of the bubble side, which I absolutely believe exists. It's is that anyone with Photoshop or whatever the name of the app is that can export your ping can become a creator of NFTs. Yeah. And so you're going to have some cream that rises to the surface that is fantastic artists that deserve the recognition and that make good money. And they're going to have a bunch of garbage and just like fad stuff and clones and copycats. And it's it's ICOs three years ago. You know, right. there was a lot of garbage, but out of all of that, a few very credible projects uh, emerged and will be here for the long term. You know who's going to make money uh, in NFTs is the, is the company that charges you 60 or 70 bucks to mint the NFT. They're going to be the ones. It's like the people made the money in the gold rush with Levi's because they sold the blue jeans and the picks to those. Yeah, it's called the miners right now on Ethereum, right? Because they're getting all the crazy gas fees that people are spending yeah. to have these things minted. Yeah, that's that's where the money is, um, at least for sure money. Anyway, some and there will be people who make a lot of money uh, on it. I'm sure there'll also be people. You know, it's kind of a interesting company in the middle of all this is Kodak. 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 Remember, remember the Kodak ICO. So I like, have always used Kodak 
as the the prime example of how a brick and mortar company could not make it in the digital world. They made so much money on film developing and and uh, sales that even when when the world went digital, even though they were one of the first companies to embrace digital photography, right. they couldn't survive because there wasn't enough profit in the digital right. side of it to match what they had made in the brick and mortar side. So I use Kodak as the example of everything that that went wrong with digital. You're saying they're doing well now? No, no, no. I'm saying they tried to launch an ICO. Oh, God. Uh, That's right. Some that was amount a while ago, ago which, right? Right. And I think, <laughs> I mean, it's not a really Co- stupid. Oh, they had Kodak coin. Right. Which I think had something to do with photographers. Shares, like, yeah. Yeah. Photographers yeah. and royalty, which then kind of sort of made sense. But again, like, it was stock photography. Yeah. And then they got into, I guess, vaccines. So, you know. That's the funniest thing about brand, Kodak. Though. They they understood the digital world. They were right there. They look. They were. They did a ICO, and it didn't help. Yeah, yeah. But look at. I mean, some brands have done this quite well. Like look at Moleskin. Moleskin came out one of the best note taking apps on iPad and iOS. That's and true. It's, they're making tons of money. They got app of the they year. I guess they can't years sell ago. The, the notebooks, but they can sell a digital version of it. Yeah, yeah. That's where that's brand equity is what that is. Right. There's mm-hmm. no reason to use a Moleskin app over you know, any other note taking app, but it's, but it's Moleskine. Or as I say, Moleskine. (laughs) (laughs) I once asked, Spanish. I once asked them how you pronounce it. They say any way you want. They don't, they don't (laughs) care. They don't care. Um, I do want to talk about uh, the weaponization of, of social media. Cause that I think is kind of an underlying thread here uh, in just a little bit. Great panel. It's just the two of them, but we don't need more. Amy Webb, Kevin Rose, lovely having you. Um, oh, wait a minute. We're getting this uh, traffic report in from the uh, Suez uh, Canal. Should we uh, should we check in with John Hansen? John is, of course... Suez Canal traffic report ever given, ever stuck in just south of the fresh food market on 23 Jewel. Nothing doing north or south. Let's head to the north. You can see Gamper's delays real heavy here, especially as you get closer to Great Bitter Lake, where everyone's just stuck and bitter themselves. Heading up to the north, nothing doing here, too. Breaks uh, all the way up to the port side. <laughs> Same to the south, too. Suez Gulf looking pretty heavy. Nowhere going anywhere. And this extends all the way out to the Red Sea. Red Sea more like red brake lights for the as far as the eye can see. Now, your alternates as we zoom in out here and look to the south around the Ethiopian coast, Booty, nothing doing there. We're going to have to go all the way around down south. Now, your alternate Madagascar, you can go left wow. right. Both lanes are open all the way around Cape Horn. Now, this will take you 10 days. It'll certainly save you the five or six. You'll be stuck there. Suez Canal traffic report. All right, there you go. The latest from the Suez Canal. One point five. heard a crazy, crazy number. If you took all the containers off that ship and stacked them lengthwise... You, it would they would they would stretch from Chicago to El Paso. That's <laughs> how much it. is on that ship. That is yeah. a that is a huge, huge ship. When you realize that each one of those little boxes you see on the ship is a, a railroad box car, you really get and a now sense. think about what's in those boxes. Oh right? God, I mean, yeah. Do we know what the cargo is? I've heard something about toilet paper. Like there's some of the oh pro- God, the it, they were right. There will be a toilet paper shortage. <laughs> we just got the year wrong. Our show today brought to you by Udacity. Udacity is brilliant. Started by Sebastian Thrun. He was at Google and he realized when he was at Google, he said, you know, there's a problem here. People are getting trained for tech jobs, but they're not getting the skills we need to hi- to get the people we need to hire. 
And, and Google wasn't alone. A lot of the big tech companies realized we've got to create a way for people to get the skills we need filled. And they created these nano degrees at Udacity. It's an, a unique online educational offering designed to bridge the gap between the, the learning you've been getting and your career goals. You'll learn a suite of employable skills. We know they're employable skills because Udacity partners with industry leaders and experts who understand the in-demand skills applicable to the job market. They work with Google, IBM, Microsoft, Amazon, and many other companies to create these nanodegrees. Once you, and I love how they do it. It is not rote learning. It is exactly the way learning should be. In fact, I joined Udacity in 2012. I think I took a Python course there uh, early on because I was so impressed with this. The nanodegrees came out. Once you enroll in a student, as a student in a specific course, you're going to be prompted to watch the videos. Great teachers, great videos. This is actually kind of a fundamental education philosophy that I love. Get the best people in the field to create these videos once and once only, but now you've got them. And then surround them with hands-on experience. So many times you take online courses, you never really have to test your metal. But at Udacity, you'll have to complete a series of projects They'll be, they'll be reviewed by professionals. You'll be able to get real human help, personalized code reviews, and, and even mentors 24-7. So you're not alone, but that project-based active learning means when it comes time to get the job, you'll, you'll know how to do it. You'll have done it. You'll be able to do it. Some of the most sought-after nanodegrees with Udacity for consumers and business clients are in the top 10, data analyst. Yeah, not surprising. Program for data science with Python. That's what I'm looking at for my next course. Digital marketing, there's soft skills as well. Tech-adjacent roles. Programming, development, product management, AI, cloud computing, data science, autonomous systems. People from all over the world use Udacity. And, and because it's people from all over the world, and because so many people are doing this while they have a day job, Udacity is completely flexible. You can learn at your own pace and your own schedule, so it can it can kind of work with what you're doing right now, but you'll get real employable skills through project-based active learning covering the leading-edge technology. Udacity also has free courses. In fact, they have some great courses for polishing up your portfolio on GitHub or your resume on LinkedIn. They'll, they have courses on how to learn and network and get noticed and get the job you want. So there's a lot of free stuff there as well. I really want you to check it out. I especially this month want you to check out the partnership Udacity has to help close the skills gap for the black community. They partnered with the Blacks in Technology Foundation to provide a thousand free scholarships to help increase educational and professional opportunities for the people in the black community. The first cohort of 2021 Includes 150 scholarships and applications. They open in March this month. So you're going to want to get to udacity.com slash twit and investigate that. The whole goal to increase diversity in tech roles by creating a pipeline of qualified candidates in desirable fields like programming for data science, product management, cloud DevOps, engineering, and so forth. If you're interested, I want you to go to udacity.com slash twit today. Look, this is the education that will not only broaden your horizons, but help you get a job. So go to udacity.com slash twit right now. Right now, 50% off through May 30th, 2021. But use the coupon code twit. That discount will be applied at checkout. 50% off. It's a great deal. Udacity.com slash twit. And don't forget the coupon code twit. You. Audacity. It's audacity without the A. U-D-A-C-I-T-Y. 
Udacity.com slash twit. Chrissy Teigen, the unofficial mayor of Twitter, is leaving town. Uh, she and John Legend, I didn't realize this, uh, were <laughs> tagged, name, name, what do they call it? Name dropped, name checked by QAnon. Apparently, uh, the QAnon conspiracy thinks that she and John Legend are running a pedophile ring out of a, a pizzeria in Washington, D.C. Yes, it's Pizzagate. She has been abused, she says, on Twitter uh, for years. 13.7 million followers. Twitter said she's the unofficial mayor of Twitter. She says, I'm leaving. It no longer serves me positively as it serves me negatively. And I think that's the right time to call something. She says uh, she's been beat up for years. I've taken so many small two-follower count punches, that is, by accounts that have only two followers. They're brand new, created just for abuse. At this point, I'm honestly uh, deeply bruised. Blocked more than a million Twitter accounts last July. Deleted thousands of tweets. Uh, I know that, Kevin, I think you invested in Twitter very early on, right? I did, yes. Yeah. Big. Are you still a Twitter guy to support Twitter? Uh, I mean, I, I know that, um, I, I love Jack as a CEO and I know that the challenges at the scale they're at are insanely complex. Um, they're being attacked on so many different fronts. Yeah. He was in Washington um, DC this week. We'll talk about that. Yeah, testifying. It's so it's, uh, I, I wouldn't want to be running that, that piece of software. I think that's a, a product I wouldn't want to be in charge of, but I, I'm still a fan. I use it. I, I like the people that I follow and I get a lot of value out of, out of it as a user. But, you know, I, just like you, Leo, I'm sure, and anybody else that uses it, I'm not sure how much you use it these days, but I, I get a lot of random people that will say things and I just end up blocking them as well. It's yeah. just uh, the nature of the beast. Twitter put together a survey uh, for it's a, ostensibly to collect uh, people's opinions and how they should handle these difficult political challenges. But I really think the real reason they created, we, we did, we did it uh, on Wednesday on uh, this week in Google. The real reason they created the survey was to show you how impossible their job is. Uh, you know, when you, when you take the survey, well, let me see if I can find it. They ask you, you know, all right, he's a, he's a world leader, not in your country. He's using his official Twitter account, and he's saying something bad about a group in another country. Should he be banned? Should he be warned? Should we put a a, 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 a correction on the tweet? You know, and the, and you sit there and you read all these things, and it's like, ay ay ay, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Um, I'll find here. I'll find the survey. Oh, it's down. It's gone. Oh well. Um. I wanted to show you the survey, but I think it was very effective in demonstrating. Oh, there it, there it was, by the way. I just closed it. I'll open it up again for you, John. Um, calling for public input on our approach to world leaders. And yet, I think the real reason they put this up is once you take it, you realize it's impossible. Who knows? You know? Go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was, I was going to ask you why, what you found compelling about that survey. <laughs> uh, just how it, it, intractable the, this, the problem is. Um, I wish it were still up. I guess they took it. It says starting March 19th. Yeah, I guess they only did it for a week. Uh, yeah, it closed Monday, April 12th. 
Uh, did you had you seen it? Had you taken it? Um, I don't think that they care about the answer. That's what I'm, uh, my point was. They don't. Right. That they they just wanted you to understand how and, impossible and also, their job is. Right. I don't think they care about my answer to that survey. I also think they don't care about capital T, capital A, the answer. Right. Um, because the the truth is that um, these platforms have undermined public health and safety um, in our country and in other countries. And there are addressable, there are ways to address those problems, but nobody has addressed them, not in a meaningful, substantive way for a very long time. And so the challenge now is that you've, I, I had a conversation with some of the execs, I don't know, dec- 10 years ago. Um, I didn't see how Twitter was going to make, was going to earn the kind of revenue it was going to need to survive over the long term. And it seemed to me like um, there were alternative paths forward. But too often I hear from folks, you know, we're just focused on the product. We just want to work on the product and and that's what we're doing. You know, the problem is you can't just focus on the product. You also have to think about the next order impacts because at some point, you know, you could face a problem. Um, I have to say, ever since Twitter finally did the right thing with Trump's account, it's been nice and quiet around here. Uh, and it makes you wonder why they didn't do it for four years. Uh, because might- there were speech implications. There were, there were all, I mean, it should not have gotten to that point. Right. Because because in waiting that long now, you yes, you are a platform, but you're also a platform with world leaders who are clearly it, it wasn't it would not have been easy to just shut off that pipeline at the beginning I mean, because because it escalated and it gotten, you know. Yeah, I understand. Initially, they far. were that, he's the president of the United States. You know, we're going to give him a bully pulpit. He got elected. Uh, he, he deserves the right to free speech. Although he said things that other people would have immediately been banned for. Right. But you can't for 10 years say we're just a platform. We're not making editorial comments. We're not making comments on speech and then deplatform the president of the United States, even though he is, you know, was saying things that are remarkably untrue. No, I mean, I, I, here's what I'm saying. I'm saying you don't want to be a company where you get to the position. You don't want to be in that position, period. Yeah. You you don't want to have to make these decisions under duress. It's not good for your employees. It's not good for the executives. Um, you, you wind up having to make decisions for wrong reasons. My point is, well before you get to that point, you need to be thinking smarter about your financials and about your long-term survivability and what makes you vulnerable and what makes, you know, what, what parts they, of the business are brittle. They should have been thinking ahead about what they were getting in themselves into, I th- in other words. I, th- I think that's a, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to say uh, if in you're hindsight. starting something new today in yeah. hindsight. But if you look back on when, when Twitter was first getting out the ground, um, you know, we were all, I remember some of my very first tweets just being like, hey, where are we all going to meet up at South by Southwest? Right. It right. was like, it was like, let's just get together and hang out. That's totally fine. Was, but like three years post South by in 20, oh, I don't know, several years. Yeah, but then, I was just going to say, then you had the fail whale, right? Because they couldn't scale it because right, it was right, growing right. so fast. And so it wasn't like they, they were always behind uh, on in terms of the tech stack and always playing catch mm-hmm. up, right? And then all of a sudden, politicians came online, hate speech came online. I'm, I'm not, I, I just think it's a very, very tough challenge when you have literally millions of users joining per day. There are going to be a ton right. of bad actors in there. Like, how do you fix that? Like, I'm curious, Amy, what would you do to fix yeah. it? 
So I'm, I, I don't want to say the year because I don't remember what year it was, if it was 2012, sometime between 2012 and 2014. Um, I, I had this conversation with Ev and the challenge is that um, you have to figure out a way. I mean, you have to, you have to do, you have, every company has to build risk modeling into their product process. It has to be part of the roadmap. Um, because otherwise you get to a place where you can, you, you can no longer make the decisions that would have been easy year a while ago. So by 2015, it was pretty obvious that there were bad actors using the platform as, you know, um, and, and bots, right? Or maybe it was before then. So I was at state talking about this, but you want to be in a position where you, you've got some alternatives and contingencies. I get um, that. And but I just when don't you, think when... they did. Yeah, but when you have, I mean, so back then they had Rails was falling over. They were trying to get Cassandra mm-hmm. off the ground as a database structure. Cassandra was, was in its alpha. Like they couldn't even, like how can you build anything to go after users when you can't even stand up? There were database? more immediate risk I, considerations I hear you. I hear you. than what 10 years from now a president of the United States might do on the platform. There were They couldn't keep their tech stack working. Right. I, 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 but I, I, totally, say, I would say in the last three years, they should have done a lot more because they, they did fig, figure out all those problems. And yeah, fix all fail those well problems is long and, gone. Yeah, 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 yeah long right. gone. But I think I, that's I totally, – is that generally – Kevin, you work with a lot of startups. I don't think startups are thinking that way. They're hoping they can survive. They're just hoping they can get the minimum viable product working. They're not thinking what are the risks – down the road when yeah, we are Yeah, and unfortunately, to, to Amy's point, sorry, Amy, I'll let you go. Sorry, no, no, you go ahead, you go ahead. Off. Sorry, I keep, I keep interjecting, you go, and then I'll, I'll say what I was going to say. Uh, I was just, I was just going to say that, um, uh, to your point, they, they need to be thinking about this from, from day one, and honestly, most entrepreneurs are thinking, how can I even get viral to begin with? Right. You know, how can I get those first million right. users? They're, they're not thinking about, about risk or what happens if this is, you know, 50 million people, 100 million people are using this product. Right, so this is, I, I, you know, this is not me with a crystal ball using hindsight to say what they should have. Like, it's easy for me to now say what they should have done. I have been tracking this as one of the early, early, early users. And I've been tracking this for whatever, 13 years, 14 years. The point is that um, even in the, in, even in the fail well days, um, even when you're just trying to get the products to scale, even when you've got people uh, coming onto the platform because it's exciting and there's all kinds of interesting things happening. You, somebody in the organization still needs to be in charge of doing the longer range forecasting. And you said this to be fair, I've known you to say this for years. The companies don't think strategically and they don't. That's one of the things you really have long pushed for is they have to start Look, thinking medium and yeah i mean if we want to stick within the the mediums Twitter having the same family, problem yeah mediums right why are they having that same problem uh because the financials don't work why do the financials don't work you know you, so medium you just pi- to- we should just say for people who don't know medium just pivoted ev williams who founded twitter went went off and founded medium which originally looked like just a bla- a blogging platform but uh, they decided that they they wanted to have in in house journalistic publications so that they could charge a five dollar a month subscription fee. Uh, and this week, uh, Ev essentially laid everybody off. He he didn't lay them off. He gave them buyouts and encouraged them to take off. But uh, I think effectively, Medium has shuttered its uh, journalistic uh, arm, and they're just going to now be a blog platform again. And that's a pivot. Ev's known for his pivots. He's famous for his pivots. I don't know if it's failure. No. So, 
that's the other. So there's a couple of things. If you are running a company with a very long term in mind, and I don't know a lot of executives that do this well, um, you have to be operating across different time zones sort of simultaneously, meaning you have to have a strong sense of what you're doing in the farther future, like 10 years down the road, which feels pointless, but you, there are still data that you can track. Um, and in the, in the present, you have to make tactical decisions using data that you do have access to, and then strategy, and then shifting your your vision on, you know, on, on where you're headed and you have to be able to recalibrate and you have to, to, you have to be able to do this pretty regularly. The problem is that I think a lot of companies, you've got products separate, you've got executives looking at adoption cycles. You've certainly got investors looking at what probable adoption cycles look like, which are always slower than people think they should be. You try to build financial models um, to, to, to match those adoption cycles. And, you know, all of these sort of things start to fall apart. Part of the reason is that um, I don't think people are taking in enough outside data. Like when when they are looking at whether or not something could succeed and what the factors are, there's they're not using a big enough data set. And there and and then there's a lot of teams that aren't doing this using data at all um, or more methodically at all. You just wind up with belief. It's fiat. Everybody gets really excited about something, and then that's that. And in the middle of all this. You need to have somebody who is um, asking some of these really difficult questions and building a risk model doesn't need, you know, a month and a half. It, it sometimes just mean needs like a couple of hours um, to think things through. And if you, and by the way, there are tools to do this. It's not like idle brainstorming, but if you identify that risk early enough in, in that, that could result from the normal cycle of product development, you mitigate that early and you turn that into a strategic advantage or you deal with it, or at least you know that it's plausible on the horizon. And I just, I think that sometimes people get very stuck in doing what they know how to do, especially if they came out of uh, development um, or product space. And the rest of this work, given how little most companies and most people control outside, it's like, this is really challenging stuff to do, but you have to do it. Uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, along with uh, Sundar Pichai and Mark Zuckerberg, testified to the House Energy and uh, Commerce uh, Committee this week. At one point, uh, Dorsey was asked by uh, Mike Doyle of uh, Pennsylvania whether social media services contributed to the spread of misinformation that led to the January uh, 6th insurrection. Actually asked all three executives. Dorsey was the only one to say yes. He said, uh, uh, we did contribute to that. But he also said, you have to take into consideration the broader ecosystem. It's not just the technological systems we use. But yeah, it'd be interesting if there is anything Twitter could have done back in 2006 to avoid their CEO having to sit in front of Congress saying, yeah, that would we have take been, some that responsibility. Would have been early. Yeah. That, 2006 would have been early. You know, but so they wouldn't start 20... when they first started up. They would... They would after they started succeeding, what, what point do they start thinking about? At some point, if you are working on a serious business model and you're, you're, you know, your your goal is to grow a business, I think, um, then then you have to start prioritizing. And one of the things you have to prioritize is, you know, how, how do some of these potentially, how do some of these things go wrong? I mean, I, I again, I, I can't, I can't say the companies, um, but, 
But we work with a lot of these companies on strategy, on planning, on their strategy. And it's totally appropriate to factor in risk in a way that doesn't set you up to a future class class action lawsuit or in a way that doesn't stymie your product development. On the other hand, you know, if Mark Zuckerberg, when he's at Harvard planning Facebook or or Ev Williams, when he's, you know, sitting in South Park thinking about Twitter, uh, imagining the success and, and, and all of that. It's it's hard to imagine them also imagining sitting in front of a congressional committee uh, having to justify how their products used and and if they had the the answer they might have come up with is oh we shouldn't do this we shouldn't start Facebook we, we shouldn't start we Twitter. knew okay, we knew that that Twitter was being used for Russian propaganda pretty early on in the process how do you stop that well you you make a rule no Russian propaganda. You can block IPs. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that could have been done. Could, I'm not saying this is like an easy solution. Too. It's very bad yeah, guys I know, are good I know. At, at, at... I'm not saying it's an easy solution. I am saying you got to be aware. The of thing the, not to do is just used. pretend like it's not happening. Yeah. yeah. Does that make sense, Kevin? I mean, you work with a lot of startups and a lot of companies. Yeah, I, I agree 100 percent that you you have to first come out and say this is happening and this is an issue. Um, you you can't pretend and just kind of you know, shove it under the rug. They kind of did that, didn't they? They kind of, they kind of said, ah, we don't want to think about this. I think in, in, you know, after it happened, they came out and reluctantly said, you know, it's probably a bigger problem than we first said, but I, I, I just don't know the solution. Like I I just, uh, from a technology standpoint, I can't even imagine there's just ways around everything. When you allow everyone to have a microphone, the second they confirm an email address, I just don't, like, how do you it's fix the that? nature of the business? That's what I mean when I say maybe had they really thought about it, they said, well, we should we should uh, have a dog walking company instead. I mean, it's not. No, it's right. just, it's being willing. So this this brings me back to pivot because I know pivot's kind of a bad word. Right. And the, and the assumption is that there's a failure. Um, I think if you're a really, really smart leader, if you're a smart executive, you should be micro pivoting all the time, because what does that mean? It means you're taking, it means that you acknowledge you don't have certainty over everything. There are new data that present themselves all the time, and you are reacting to those data by recalibrating your march to the future. So like really, really great CEOs are constantly making adjustments. Um, I think the issue is and that's what you do. I mean, the, the I think fix, Mark Zuckerberg like- is constantly making adjustments to the algorithm, to what Facebook means. I mean, you could see it over and over again, new products, abandoned products. There's no question Mark is micro pivoting every day of his life. But my, I think the problem with Mark Zuckerberg is what his priorities are. What, yeah, well, to that's... what end is are those micro pivots, uh, you know, uh, being accomplished? Yeah. They're not. He's not trying to figure out how to be a better global citizen he's trying to make a more profitable company right is is actually that's actually a fundamental uh question that we ask all the time is is the nature of business i mean is it not your your you know responsibility to your stakeholders to maximize profit is the nature of any business enterprise essentially amoral that your job is to maximize profit and nothing else I mean, isn't well, Mark Zuckerberg I don't know. a great think CEO because that's, that's what he does? Do you, so do you think that that's the same is true for Amazon? If you look same at their thing. returns? 
And you we may so? as a society, yes, Bezos is brilliant. I don't know if- or was brilliant. He's retired. I yeah, guess. but I don't know if Bezos's like 100% modus operandi is returning value to shareholders. Oh, I guarantee. I want- oh, I guarantee. I don't I don't know. They got they got spanked pretty hard for a pretty big R&D investment. I uh, I think I don't know. I have a different opinion than most people on Bezos and I I have no horse in, in any of these races. Amazon's not a client. I'm not trying to impress anybody. It, it's not that. I, I think he's operating on a completely different He's strategic. different playing field. He's strategic, right? I think he's one of the greatest long-term thinkers yes. alive. No question. And that's probably And to alive. what end so, is he strategic? I, <laughs> um, if you look at the constellation of investments and businesses and all the varied things that Amazon has its fingers in, it is very clear to me that these aren't crapshoots. No. And I, I don't think it's about returning maximum value to shareholders. I think they are building something... Dominant. Bigger, dominant. Dominant. Yeah. Yeah, but to what end? <laughs> to be um, the most successful change... corporation in the history of, of the world. And, to, and what is success? Or is it about changing the way that society functions? Do you think he? Do you think he's thinking that? I, I do. He and wants I think to make part the world a better is, place. Uh, more optimized place, maybe. Optimized. <laughs> um, okay. Optimized yeah. for happiness. Um, I think that given given what I know about his love of Star Trek, he, um, yeah, like he the wants original, to go to he wants to go to space. Well, it's not just that. Uh, the original Star Trek w- had imagined a truly utopian, yeah. a, a better a better society. You could see that in the selections of the cast. Mates, I, no, I right? totally and, can believe that that's what Jeff Bezos is trying to do. The problem is there's a lot of hubris involved, and he's an individual. Sure. And his own personality brings his own judgment to this. And maybe what he yeah, thinks is Yeah, I'm not saying utopia, it's perfect. You know, I'm just he, saying, in if his I look utopia, at, if I, drivers might be peeing in their vans. Is all I'm saying. Oh yeah, no. In, in his utopia, it may be, uh, it may be like slaughter everybody who gets in the, into the, in the way of yeah. this dream. Yeah. Um, so I'm not saying true. that that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but but I am saying I don't. Th- I don't know. I don't know him personally, so I, I don't know what his actual his From a actual distance, desire is. He but looks it's, brilliant. That's no. There's no. It question seems about to me, that. given yeah. what I observe the company doing and how they are doing it, that there are other factors in play. This is not about building the Just money. most lucrative. Yeah. I, I don't think it's that. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that I would. It's say a nice the same side effect. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> it's a pretty good side effect. He's the richest man in the world. Right, but if you, it's it's not money at that point. Once you have, it, no, I understand. He, after the first billion, it. it's, it's, it's as Bill Gates once said. It's, you're infinitely wealthy. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. It's what you can do. And at that level, you can make fundamental decisions. You can make decisions that change the course of all of humanity. And I think that's what he is. Do you think, Kevin, do. I think that's what, uh, what uh, Jeff Bezos was up to? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe that um, in terms of, I think that you're absolutely right in that these are not just random lucky events. Like he's one of the best long-term thinkers. Like there's no doubt. I believe that five, 10 years from now, it will be the most valuable company in the world. And I think it'll hold that position for quite some time. They've, they've built out the infrastructure for the future. And um, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't see it as an evil corporation as much as I do like a Facebook though, for some reason. Um, No, I don't either. 
Although, having watched a lot of Star Trek, uh, I do understand that no... Which, wait a minute, which Star Trek? I love the let's, original let's, let's Star Trek. Let's get this Trek. out of the way. The original okay. Star Okay. You know that no single human should have the right to decide how life is lived. No human has sufficient perspective to do that. And so uh, a Jeff Bezos-designed utopia is, I think, by definition, not going to be ideal for every human alive. And he should know better than to say, I can do that. That's, that's fine. That's and what I would say back to you is, are we not already living in part of that? Well, maybe. Um, yeah. Maybe he's done. I mean, the United States. In, can yeah, can three, I just offer you one little thing? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like three tech companies that control everything we do. Yeah, that's that's why Congress is a little late to the game in inviting these people in to talk to us. It might be more than three. I think uh, I think you, Amy, in your book identified f- five, right? Six? Uh, six. Six. I call them the G Mafia. Yeah. Google, uh, Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, IBM, and Amazon. Is IBM still on that list? IBM is, is starting to fall. Now that Watson has been... Uh, <laughs> relegated um, to the closet. Can I can I tell you about a garbage can? Yes. Okay. So there's this little device that you can hook onto your garbage can that is powered. And you <laughs> scan it. So it's a garbage scanner. So when you throw something away, you scan whatever it is. Um, and then, poof, magically, uh, a replacement of that shows back up at your house. So you really what? love Cheetos? Is this, okay, the, no. is this the genie can? It is. It is. What? Now, bear with me for a moment with this little tiny thought exercise. So what do we know to be true of Amazon? We know that at the moment, Amazon is not the backbone of our healthcare. However, we do know- They sure want to be. Yeah. They sure sure want to be a bigger player. One of our advertisers Um, is Amazon Pharmacy. So okay. they want which to was PillPack, which was right. which was also right. so an that has changed the name. By the way, we're very saying- good at creating anybody who wants to advertise on Twitter. I just want to give you a, a little heads up. Pretty much half the companies have advertised here were bought by Amazon. So I don't know what that is, but I can give you a list, including PillPack mm-hmm. and Audible mm-hmm. and on and on and on. So okay, so so you've got this genie cam thing, yeah. right? You've got this little attachment on your garbage can, and you don't ever you have know to that shop. Amazon is in. It's so just, we know that Amazon's in logistics. We know that they're getting into oh not God. just pharmaceuticals, but healthcare records managements, management, um, EHRs, EMRs, uh, AI to help doctors transcribe things, brick and mortar healthcare, all of these logistics, right? All of these different things. So could we imagine a future in which if you are um, uh, receiving some type of public healthcare, um, public insurance, that you throw away that bag of Cheetos and a replacement bag of carrots shows up instead, right? They look similar, but one is arguably much more healthy. And it's an effort to optimize your uh. life. So I, and, and maybe, maybe at some point um, food assistance programs become too expensive in this country given our current levels of debt. And it, beca- it makes more sense to start privatizing that. People are paying using their data instead of, you know, I mean, there, there's there's a lot of different ways that, that the future unfolds. Um, and and we don't know what course we're on, but it's useful to, to ask some of these questions. Did you know about the genie camp, Kevin? <laughs> I'm buying one right now. One. I love this. I, I mean, it's just like they're buying That was they had, right? not the point of the story I just told you. <laughs> Wait a minute. Where do I get one of those? Um 
No, and I, and maybe I'll get the genie cam for health, which replaces your Cheetos with carrots. That's a good idea. But uh, I do love a lot of the stuff that Amazon is doing, though. I mean, the fact that they're getting into pill delivery, that's a huge issue in terms of compliance, getting people to even pick up. I heard yeah. something like 50 percent of medications just are never even picked up. Wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy. No, it's, it's brilliant. Like that, and the mesh network, sidewalk mesh uh, network. So within about a half mile radius, if you're in the neighborhood mesh, uh, you know, you can find your keys, find your kid, communicate, whatever it is that you need to do. And again, like who should. Oh, man. Who should be building these? Listen, I, I don't. I don't know what we do. I don't see how the the antitrust b- arguments being levied at Amazon are going to hold up. So, and I and I also don't see our government running out to build a lot of this infrastructure. So, again, I I look at a, I I'm not. Yes, there are horrible things that are happening in that company, but I also look at that company and I look at the people running it, and it's hard not to be in awe of what they are doing. What they're doing is clearly more than trying to return value to shareholders. Yeah, it's kind of straight out of a science fiction uh, novel or TV show in this case. Um, by the way, I'm really disappointed. The Genie Can store cannot accept payments right now. What kind of... Kevin, this is like the worst... Your, start, your founder's worst nightmare. Here's a guy. I'm trying to buy this thing. 150 bucks. Because everybody's listening right now, and they crashed yeah, it. It looks like a looks like a Shopify checkout, is it not? Shopify shut down. Yeah, are they out of business? What happened? I'm trying to order this damn thing. <laughs> so, it, uh, by the way, uh, I'm sorry. Your whole point was lost as soon as you said Genie Cam. My whole point is that. <laughs> no, I understood. I'm kidding. I'm teasing. It's about optimizing. Yes. And the question is, is Amazon yes. really the optimization store, the yes. optimization company? Yes. Right? And if that's true, then there are some parts of that that are really good. There are also questions we ought to ask about who's optimized, whose version of Utopia is okay with us, right. who's optimizing from for but we, whom, but here's who's the problem. making those decisions. We don't get to vote. Right. I mean, I might not like it. Uh, I guess I can not shop at Amazon, but good luck staying away from Amazon if, you know, and by the way, the next step after Amazon Pharmacy starts delivering my uh, meds is they start to nego- get big enough to start negotiating with the pharma companies for a better deal. Pretty soon, uh, I'm getting better prices from Amazon Pharmacy than I am from my doctor. And pretty soon, I don't get to vote, right? It's you're, Isn't you're, that Costco today, though? Yeah, the, the yeah, big reason why people get their meds there. Well, I get my hot dogs there. Those are their pizza. Their pizza is good. Very too, favorably priced. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, the quality quality is a piece of this. So you can buy glasses there too, but okay, the lenses that you're going to get in those right. glasses they may right. be much more affordable, but they're not good lenses. Right. And if you, I wear glasses. I've worn them since I was little. If if that's you, you know, it's well, your, your sight. husband's an ophthalmologist, so I he know is. you take this stuff seriously. Well, I don't take any of it seriously, but he does. <laughs> <laughs> so you you have to pay attention at least. It's really an interesting uh, story. Are we entering a brave new world, I guess? I mean, um, it's just basically what we're talking about is a bunch of closed loop systems that are going to create beautiful optimization. So like 
and sometimes scary ones. But like, you know, for example, I wear a continuous glucose monitor right now. That's one biomarker today. And uh, in 10 years, it'll be 10 biomarkers that will feed into my dynamic insurance pricing, right? Same goes with Tesla auto insurance, which are now offering. They know how you drive. And so they give you cheaper rates if you drive more conservatively. It's just all just, it's it's all happening. There is a rebellion against this too, though. I mean, a lot of the stories we have here are things like Google's flock and, you know, the, the privacy blockers and the ad blockers. There's a rebellion against this as well. Are people fighting Micro. against their own interest by saying, don't track me, man? I, the numbers don't support. These are micro protests. It's, it's a tiny micro. note. It's the people I know. It's not the world. No, because at some point, either the technology becomes so difficult that you cannot get through the world without it on your own. True. Um, or the convenience just totally outweighs. We've seen that. The, the, you know, remember so, the the New York Times article uh, uh, where I don't remember it was Taylor Lawrence or uh, no, it was Cashmere Hill. Cashmere Hill, wonderful story. Said, she did I'm not going to use the big four. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just like how many people posted a black square on Instagram on that one day? Yeah, that really changed and, the world. And like, it? totally changed the world. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, and, and did their did their DAUs drop? Did their MAUs drop? No. You know, no, not that I know Which of. Which is again, to my point, I don't get a vote. Uh, or do I, how can, how can consumers, how can users, how can all of us impact what is happening? Can we? I think we can. And it's, it's by the individual incremental decisions we all make every single day. I mean, people who have been listening to the show with me on it for all these years know that I, you know, we, we provisioned a network for my daughter and we've, she lives in an alternate reality. You know, it's one tiny thing that we did that, is our way of trying to, you know, optimize for, but for us, which you're is not, not like the parents everybody. who say, don't use any technology. I want you to grow up like I did because you recognize that your child is going to enter a world where all of this is in operant and you can't avoid it. So it would be foolish to not prepare a child for the world that she's about to enter. Right. Again, I think it's about being, so this is, this is, this is the hard thing. Um, it's about being flexible and flexibility means sort of continuously staying plugged in and and paying attention and and making many, many incremental decisions. And that takes a lot of extra. First of all, it means you have to accept uncertainty, which is very hard for people to do. It makes you feel anxious. And two, it means you have to, to continuously confront cherished beliefs and make decisions. None of these things are things that your brain is neurologically wired to want to do. And therefore, we don't want to do those things. But my feeling is if you're, if you are willing to be flexible, meaning you're willing to accept uncertainty and right. to make decisions all the time using new data. Then, That's how we then, have to be now. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way it is. Kevin, how's your blood sugar right now? Is it good? Do you want to get a mm, snack? It's 102 right now. Perfect. And that's right on my Apple watch right on the outside of the display. Perfect. <laughs> it's crazy. Really? You know, at all times. I don't That's know. Awesome. I would like it to be a little lower than that, but okay. I'll, I'll, well, no, I'll take anything around there is good. That's good. What's a good number? I don't know these things. Well, you don't want to be over too high over 100. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it depends on what you've just eaten, but if you're in a, like I'm, a, I'm in a somewhat fasted state, I haven't eaten for a few hours. So I'd like to be in the, God, it should be like seven high eighties. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. If you haven't eaten it, it shouldn't be 70 would be like stellar <laughs> diabetic coma. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I kind of, I embrace, you were the guy who told me about the aura ring first. 
Um, you actually, I learned about the Fitbit from you. Uh, so you've always been to, into this quantified self thing a little bit. I, I love it. I, yeah. I, just, I, I love seeing more about my real-time dashboard. Um, I just did something crazy the other day. So two days ago, there's a startup. Um, they're based in in the Bay Area, um, Red, Redwood City, called Prenuvo, P-R-E-N-U-V-O. And they have essentially taken what would be like one of these, these whole body scans, the MRIs that you can get done. And, you know, if you get the MRI done on your, on your brain, that's typically a, a, a process that takes about uh, 45 minutes to an hour just on your brain. They can now do a whole body, like head-to-toe MRI in one hour and give you back and detect stage one cancer. Nine out of 10 cancers that are detectable by MRI, they can detect at stage one. Take a look at this video right here. Let's see if I can get it to focus. I might have to turn off the blurry. Is background. it on the website? Can I play it on the website? Uh, well, I was actually no, I showing yours, you my right? body scan. That's you. Oh Hold yeah, on. you got to turn off that background thing you got yeah, going. Let me, let me it thinks the, the phone thing. It thinks the phone is behind you or something. Yeah, you're gonna see my spare bedroom. But let we me can, turn this off. We can Hold scan on. the body, but we can't get the screen to focus. Yeah, <laughs> doctors hate this, by the way, don't they? Because uh, this is it, in right. the early 2000s. There were oh wow, that's an MRI that's my... of you. Yeah, and they gave that to me same day. That's amazing. and they they were looking for all different types of cancers. Did and they find just, anything? Yeah. Are you okay? No, I'm totally fine. But it gives me a good benchmark to have this for you know brain size over time. My mom has dementia, so just tracking that closely. Sure, um, it's you a know, thousand so bucks. Uh, yeah, it depends on which, which scan you want to do. If you want to do the but it, oh, it could be starts, more than that. Yeah. That's just the torso scan. If you want head that's and right. torso, it's seventeen ninety nine. But the long-term hey, vision the here is they want to be at $500. That's, that's the price point they're aiming for in the next couple of years. Yeah, because these machines are expensive. Do you get – what kind of file is it stored on and where is it? Uh, in terms of like uh, is it is it HIPAA compliant kind of digital storage? No, no, thing? no. Like uh, Can I give it to my doctor? 20 years. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. So – Oh yeah, so it's it's in the the they send it to the doctor. That's a good, great question. I don't know the file format for these scans, but it's a uh, in a typical whatever they send MRIs around in is. But I was looking at bone density and uh, yeah, look at actually this is kind of crazy. Check this one. Out. I'll show you. It's like it's a little bit like go ahead show us. You little, can show his uh, little like, John thought maybe that, maybe that as a fig leaf though. It's okay. We're not seeing anything. We uh, we should yeah. They, they, look they at your bone density. Wow. So, so Kevin, did they did they give that to you with any context, or was it was it like oh yeah hey, yeah they give you a, we'll talk to no you. they give you a full breakdown of of every different uh, region of the body what it means yeah. like the okay. I have a couple of discs that are starting to bulge a tiny bit like all the stuff that you'd want to know they they give you the full report. It is my sense but, that doctors are not fond of these third party scanners. You, what is the your husband? Cra the crazy thing though is one in 20 people that come in there, they told me Something's uh, wrong they with find them. like a stage one or stage two cancer and they're Yikes. able to address it. No, it's great though. Cause they can just go in there, do a quick snip yeah. or something. In most cases, they don't have to do chemo. If they can catch it at stage one, it's massive. There was in the early two thousands, I think they were, um, they, you could go to shopping malls and get a full body tomo. To, uh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. I just got a solicitation in the and, email for, you know, like the traveling tomogram that will. Right. And I know doctors really hated that, but an MRI is much more, first of all, safe. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and I think you detect more, I don't know. I'm, I think I'm there's some concern too, that, data. uh, uh, people will get over concerned about things that aren't concerning or, 
yeah, know. there is there is certainly the the chances the of false positives, right? Yeah. Like that's gonna that's gonna happen, but um, you know, then then you do follow ups, right? Like if you see something that they can't they can't tell you whether it's cancer or not, then you can go. I had a friend that went in for a scan. They saw a little something odd in her lung. And they said, okay, well, great. Now come back in six weeks and we're going to see if anything's changed. Wow. Nothing had changed. So they said, okay, this has most likely always been there. Don't worry about it. And, you know, but that type of stuff can happen. And that's the kind of thing your physician would like to be part of. Oh, they, they get, yeah, your primary care provider gets all the data right okay. away. So they send it at the same time. Okay. We should ask why, like, why, why is the assumption that everybody's going to be anxious and freak out? you know, and that this, this is bad. It's bad to have this information. And I think unlike Japan and China, for example, where, you know, from a very young age, much more about your body, you, you have a much better handle on your personal, like everybody knows what their temperature is. We don't assume that it's 98.6. Right. Um, right. I, we don't have that culture of preventative care in the United States. And so I, I think there's this sense that people will um, worry because we ha- we haven't ever been exposed to what it's like to have met to have some understanding of what's going on inside of your body. How so, often do they recommend that you do this, uh, Kevin? Do you do it once or you I do think it every couple every of years? Year? Every couple of years, twenty yeah. five hundred bucks the, for the for the full Magilla. But the the prices will be dropping down. I, I had a chat with the CEO and and he's he's like, we're going to get this to five hundred dollars wow. and and hopefully get insurance to cover it as well because you can wow. imagine they're going to save a ton of money if they detect insurance. Early on. No, insurance doesn't. <laughs> so that's I think a common mis- misconception about health insurance in this country, because people move around, they don't want to do preventative care. It's too expensive. They presume that if you've got something. It's the next guy that's going to be paying for that, not that. Right. And that's a problem. That's I mean, a we big do problem, full, obviously. We we, it's, we are very close to doing full genome sequencing, sequen, ah, full genome sequencing at birth, right? So before that baby leaves, you've got the sequence. Well, that's and another problem. Pretty well, but I mean, these this would be a good thing because like I, I know that I've probably got genetic predisposition for some things, but I right. lost my mom at a very, very early age. Mm. I, I don't have, I don't have anybody to ask, you know? Right. Uh, right. And we, that's who we tend to rely on. I might, I might you've do got this Nouveau thing. Comparative this data good. over time. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, Amy, have you taken your 23andMe data? I, I take it you've done that? Yeah, I've done And a have couple. you taken into external analyzers, like the ones that really look deeper than what 23andMe will tell you? Oh, you can? Yeah. Because twenty three, yeah, you can export you your data. data. You can export it. I've had, yeah, I've, I'm a I'm a big believer in um, in getting as much of your own data that you can as you can. So well, I should do that. Um, so so you send it to a third party and they get the data and they they know more than twenty three and me. Why doesn't twenty three and me do that? Well, twenty three really is just super conservative. Early. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't want to tell you you might they have a, trouble a, with the FDA you know, yeah, and yeah. you could be, have higher rates of dementia. Right. You know. Right. But uh, Found My Fitness is uh, the site to go through. Rhonda Patrick, she's a great scientist. She has a team of scientists that are basically all they do is they say, if you have this genetic SNP, if you have this genetic polymorphism, it has it is tied to these research papers that show that you might have an elevated chance of X, Y, or Z, right? right. So it just is showing you more of the, this yeah, one? That's, that's her site. Yeah. yeah. And genetic report up the top there. 
And oh, I think yeah. she gives it away or it's, it's not much. It's maybe $20 or something. Well, I, 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 don't know. She, I don't think she charges a lot for it, but yeah, take your, um, your 23. So you have no there. concern about 23 and me having your spit and having your genome. And yes, I do. You do. I do. Yeah. But I, especially since now, are, apparently they've done a spec with Virgin and Richard yeah, Branson has your spit now. I, I like immediately when they launched, um, cause I knew they were, they were coming. I guess this is me not thinking, through things. I, it didn't occur to me. I was also desperate at that point. We were trying to do, we were trying to get some, some genetic data for other reasons. And anyway, I, and at that, at that point I, it was like contraband. So I had to order it through a friend and have the wow. friend like, yes, it to me. Cause, um, contraband anyways. DNA tests. Wow. But there are others. There's a personal genome project. I mean, there's a ton of places. Yeah, I, I tried to sign up for know. that, but they, they didn't take me, but uh, I, you know, I, I don't care. Somebody pointed out you probably should, your kids might care because they are yeah. your genotype. So they might, they're a product of your genotype. So they might have some concern that information about you might apply to them as well. Eh. Hey, I, I thought about actually taking it and putting it uh, on the blockchain and make it the first NFT genome. Brilliant. Um, I'll buy so it. That was a- It'll be the first. I'll buy it. <laughs> Kevin, actually, that's uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not a joke. That's actually a really interesting idea. Right? No, I, I, I really thought value. about doing that. The genotype really did. The genotype does have value, right? Especially if you combine no, it with a phenotype. No, no, no. I mean, the, okay. So wait, here, here's where this gets really, really interesting. It's anonymized. Theoretically, it is. It's just code. It's just code. Right. That's right. what, and then, that's and what then the there is a way genome, to establish ownership over the it. The Personal Genome Project was very clear that we are not going to keep this secret. If you sign up to do this, because it's a scientific research This was research George Church project. and a couple right, of George people. So it was, right. and the, the, the pool of, it was Esther Dyson and Esther George. Dyson and like, did there it. were just that's a handful right. of people yep. who did it. Yeah, I tried it. And you had to pay like 10 grand because it was a full genotype. But I, right. I tried the, to do the that. Co- it's, like a, it's like less, it costs less than a pair of Air Jordans to get your sequence now. I know, Yeah. Uh, there's a company in China called BCI, but Kevin, I don't know if you, that's really interesting. Okay, you guys think about Kevin's NFT <laughs> on his jeans. We're going to take a little break, and then if you can clone me, do you own future versions of me? Yes, hmm. and you get ten percent of all clones. <laughs> and if and if I have yeah, a company clones. that yeah, pays, you get royalties on all future clones. If my company is the one that paid for the clone, then is it? The parent company? Who owns the clone? That owns the... Who's the parent? Who gets to make the decisions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is why I don't like the future. Don't like it. Legally, there's nothing preventing me from having a company and going into an IFE center and using the company to pay out of pocket. And therefore, the ownership would tie back to the company, not to the person. First, we got to invent cloning, though. You, you... It is invented. Oh, Okay. I mean, it doesn't. Well, can't make. You can make a really sheep. Well, <laughs> you can make a sheep that dies early, but other than that, we got it down. No, they're doing all sorts of. We're doing dogs now. Yeah, you yeah, they're do. doing dogs. Yeah, you can clone your dog. That's right. And those, do they live a normal uh, lifespan? The clones. I don't know, but that Mr. Toast a, is ten years old. Yeah, it might be time to think about that. Get the clone. Toaster is pretty much a perfect dog. Uh, he's the best. <laughs> I would clone Toaster if I if I were Toaster's owner. You should put Toaster on the blockchain. Put I, his I could <laughs> put his genome on the blockchain. I'm telling you, people would love it. 
I could never clone toaster though. Like, you know, when you love something like that, there's only one. Like, there yeah, can be only one. There can be only one toaster. I, I can tell you where to go to get the toaster's DNA sequence though. If you DC, that. Is it, it's in China, right? DCI? You know, BCI is BCI. It. All right. Yeah. Yeah. This is like an episode. If BCI of- and DJI got together and made Ooh. drones. Drones. Drone that- clones. <laughs> Clone drones. This is like an episode of Futurama. I don't know what's going on. Too far. Our show today is brought to you by Mint Mobile. I'll tell you one thing. You don't want to give any more money to the big wireless providers. Those guys suck. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless, if we've learned anything, we've learned there's always a catch. There's always a hidden fee. There's always something. So I have to admit, when I first heard about Mint Mobile, I thought, eh, premium wireless service for $15 a month? What's the catch? There isn't one. In fact, I've been a happy Mint Mobile customer for more than a year now. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. No stores means no crazy overhead, and they pass the savings directly to you. It's really a a brilliant, brilliant plan. How much do you pay for your wireless service provider? 50, 60, 70, 80 bucks a month? Why? (laughs) Why, when you could get unlimited talk and nationwide talk and text, high-speed data on the nation's largest 5G network, you can bring your own phone. They'll send you the SIM for free. Other companies will charge you for the SIM. They don't even charge you for the SIM. So your contacts go along. You can even have your phone number transferred, ported over to Mint Mobile. And if for any reason you're unhappy, they've got a seven-day money-back guarantee. Switch now to Mint Mobile. Get premium wireless service. It's such a great deal. Why are you paying more? I'm literally paying a third for the exact same service. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, and get the plan shipped to your door free, go to mintmobile.com slash twit. Cut your wireless bills, $15 a month. Mintmobile.com slash twit. Just remember the little green fox looks kind of like Ryan Reynolds. I think those are Ryan's glasses, actually. Mintmobile.com slash twit. 15 bucks a month. That is a good deal. It's minty fresh, too. Mintmobile.com slash twit. We thank him so much for supporting twit. Thank you for supporting twit. Uh, by uh, using that special address so they know you saw it here. That's important to us. Mintmobile.com slash tweet. Oh, what other future things can we talk about? I don't, you know, every time the tech CEOs go to Congress, the only co- thing I come away with this is how little Congress understands what they're, what they're talking about. Or did you did you see any of it, Amy? Did you follow any of it? Did you get any sense that any of the members of Congress had any idea what they were asking or what they were talking about? I feel like it was just they. It's yeah, it's politics. I, listen, here's the Washington D.C. are the the people who run the the legislative branch, um, sort of ignores ignores what's happening in tech until they perceive there is a problem. Right. And their um, worldview of what their, what the problems are is kind of limited to right. the beltway. It's like, well, the problem is a beltway problem, you know? Right. And I'm sure you guys saw on Twitter, uh, really rare shift. Uh, Amazon was publicly railing against um, Senator Warren and, and uh, yeah, they're Warren scared. And they're scared. 
Right. So I don't, I don't know if they're scared or I'm not sure. I don't know what was happening on the comms, like at the comms team on that day. But the the incendiary tweets, I think, started on Friday. Yeah, that can't day. help. That really cannot help. We're pretty, and they're continuing. I mean, they're pretty. They're they're pretty intense for Amazon, which is yeah. historically, yeah. That's according it. to Recode. It was because Jeff Bezos was pissed. He was pushing yeah. the comms team. So, I don't know. We we used to have something in this country. Uh, which a lot of Twit listeners know about because we um, talk about this a little bit, but it's, it was called the Office of Technology Assessment. And the job of that group was to inform um, the legislative branch uh, before they came up with policy and voted and everything else to help them understand basic science and tech. Um, and it was a nonpartisan research group that that got defunded in the 90s. We don't really have a replacement. There's a federal foresight community. There's a couple of pockets of activity here and there. There are a lot of external um, think tanks, some of whom do a pretty good job. But ultimately, uh, if we have we have a vacuum, and so you know, it's fun to make fun of our legislators not asking questions that make any sense. Um, yes. It's political theater. Yes. But the problems don't go away. And so the you know, in the meantime, we've got a geopolitical foe on the other side of the world that's pressing at China that is pressing ahead and has dominant showing it's that that it is a uh, militaristic economic and and uh technological pacing threat. So so we we got to get our acts together over here. The tweet from uh Dave Clark who uh, is uh, CEO at Amazon's uh, consumer division. It was a little actually a subtweet against Bernie Sanders. I welcome Senator Sanders to Birmingham because, of course, uh, Alabama is where there's the unionization push and appreciate his push for a progressive workplace. I often say we're the Bernie Sanders of employers, but that's not quite right because we actually deliver a progressive workplace. Ow! Uh, $15 minimum wage, health care from day one, career progression, and a safe and inclusive work environment. So if you want to hear about $15 an hour in health care, Senator Sanders will be speaking downtown. But if you would like to make at least $15 an hour and have good health care, Amazon is hiring. It's a little provocative, but... Uh, it's provocative. Factually, though, they're not incorrect. Yeah. Um, so, a, but good but point. The fact that Amazon employees and Amazon comms is now doing this in a public form in this particular public form they're not doing this in the washington post right they're doing this on twitter well i think is a is a sign tells you something doesn't it yeah bezos has been known to write a editorial or two i'm sure that that may also happen uh you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing do you the official amazon news account tweeted if that were true nobody would work for us okay (laughs) Okay, uh, a little back and forth with Elizabeth Warren that began with her criticizing the company's tax payments, very low. Uh, the Amazon News account quote tweeted Warren with this message: "She, uh, this is ex- she. She says I don't write the loopholes you exploit, Amazon. Your armies of lawyers and lobbyists did. Oh, admittedly, they did get it passed through the Senate, um, and then." Uh, that was in response to you make the tax laws. We just follow them from Amazon, which is also a good point. 
Um, I'm just I don't surprised. Know if this that is bad this PR is... for them. I think this might be good PR, given the state of the nation. I think there might be people rooting for them after this. I don't know. All of this smacks of when I see these types of important debates taking out taking place in a you know small number of characters on a public platform like this. It smacks a little bit of like people complaining about customer service on Twitter because they can't get a hold of people in any. <laughs> In right. any, any other way. You no, know, that's just, the only good sure. reason to have a Twitter account these days is so you can, because for I just, some I don't reason know what, companies pay attention to Twitter. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, uh, I think Warren took the bait and fell for it because she tweeted yeah. she was going to fight to break up big tech so you're not powerful enough to heckle se- uh, senators with snotty tweets. Oops. Yeah. She, uh, by the way, nothing good ever came from a Twitter fight. <laughs> Take it from me. <laughs> stay, <laughs> stay out of the Twitter fights. Senator Warren now knows. It's just a no-win situation. Wow. I think Amazon any, wins that exchange. I hate to say it. I, I don't know. I think, I, think, I think we all lose because everybody forgets. Right. Like in five minutes. Right. Just Honestly, I, I, this is as much as people will, will talk about whether they like or hate Clubhouse. The one thing I do like is it's an actual audio like conversation between that is multiple people not recorded and, and played back later. Well, that's true. But it, you know, also uh, Twitter has been experimenting with this functionality as well. Like I've seen it. I don't know if you all yeah. have taken place. Yeah. It's, it's basically a clubhouse yeah. clone, but like yeah. that would be fascinating. Yeah. Like forget the Like to your point, Leo, like these in a small amount of very few characters, like a lot gets lost and it comes off weird. Like let's have a real dialogue about this stuff. Yeah. Maybe that's a solution. I don't know. I don't think it's feasible, though, because you know that all of these tweets are being lawyered in advance. I mean, they're no. Oh, of course, just, yeah, it's all you know, comms, so like, like it's hard to lawyer curated. in advance. You're, right? They're, they're not going to yeah. want to. They're not going to want to do that. Yeah. Uh, I the only thing that really upset me about the hearing was Mark Zuckerberg's willingness to throw the entire tech industry under the bus, saying, uh, "Oh yeah, here's what you do. You you only make Section two thirty protections for." for companies based on their ability to meet best practices to fight the spread of bad content. In other words, we can do it. <laughs> and you shouldn't give Section 230 protection to somebody like Leo uh, because, you know, he doesn't meet best practices to fight the spread of content. Um, I think that that is a complete and utter... Uh, how can I say this politely? It's disappointing. It's disappointing. Right. However, consider the context. So we have some of the people implicated. Um, I, I recognize that we have listeners that cross a, a wide spectrum of political views. Yes. Um, so, and I, I am politically independent. However, we have people who are launching networks um, that have historically spread lies, misinformation. So, Given that context, there are definitely going to be people listening who, to, who would listen to that saying, you know, I don't think we want to exacerbate the current problems that we have right. with somebody starting a new. Should that should that platform, uh, you know, enjoy the same protections as we do? So I think he's I think way, about myself maybe. and I have a chat room. I, we have comments on a forum. Uh, we have uh, a, a Twitter clone called Mastodon, twit.social. And none of those would be up if I didn't have Section 230 uh, protection against, uh, against liability for, um, you know, uh, libel. And so, 
or slander or misrepresentation. I can't moderate those in any reasonable way. Mark Zuckerberg can. It's it, Facebook has the wherewithal to do that and to follow best practices. So it's not going to hurt him if they modify Section 230, but it's pulling up the ladder for everybody else. It's saying, yeah, I, I made it, but uh, what we don't want is any competition. I don't know. It's You know what? I don't want to see Section 230 changed. Uh, I've yet to see a good proposal for how you would change it um, in any reasonable way without hurting the dialogue on the Internet. And yet, I do acknowledge, as I, you know, this is, we've got a problem. Uh, I don't know, you know, it's kind of a question, a weird question in the weeds that maybe Kevin knows the answer to. I don't know. So, like, you know, solid, right? The the new no, distributed. No. This is uh, um, Tim Berners Lee's yeah. proposal for uh, you can you own your data and you control it, but you can let it out in some reasonable way. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Well, here's a question: if you've if you've got a new platform that has totally different architecture, that's are you, are you grandfathered in? Would Section 230 apply? Or Project well, Mastodon, Project Maelstrom. Remember Project Maelstrom? No, that, what's that? That? Um, that was another distributed computing project. Um, oh, it was, bit, similar, it was BitTorrent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Kind of similar idea that it would have been impossible to shut down any yeah. website. Yeah. I just, when you're talking about fundamentally different architecture, I don't know. I wonder if these Isn't same, that what IPFS is, though? That's... Uh, a standard and it's out there and that's the whole idea it's a distributed internet a non so I, yeah, I mean that's the, that's the whole that's apply. it's coming right like you're yeah. not gonna be able to stop these brave already supports it right out of the box and, yeah yeah brave supports it at the at the default install level um it's just a matter of time sadly i don't even know how you shut that down i mean in some sense tor is kind of that today but 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 you can find the original tor servers and shut them down so why do you think uh, ipfs is unfortunate what You've, is it empower well, people just, like I can imagine, and Gab and yeah, all the Nazis I can imagine, and, yes, exactly. I can imagine there could, would be a social network for Nazis and hate groups and they would just not be able to track or shut down the content because it is encrypted and you don't know where it's pulling the data from. And so you can't shut down the entire network. So it may be slow. Like, I don't think it's going to be performant, but it, it will exist and it'll be a place where people share those ideas and they propagate. And that's scary. And that's what I was making me think of Section 230 in a world in which you've got truly like you've you've got that type of distributed network. I don't even know. But it, we've it, already it kind of doesn't matter, you, right? You've already said, Kevin, and I agree with you. There's no technological way to shut down Nazis. Hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, so you could it's whack-a-mole right now, right? Yeah. Is what it is. It's like anytime there's a major social network, they jump on it, they try and, and crush and, them. And, and there's parlor and there's gab. And I mean, these things are gonna happen. Well, it's not the technology. I mean, obviously that enables it and it helps the idea spread. But the real question is not how do you kill, the, which technology do you kill? The question is how do you kill an idea? That, exactly. That's the issue. If it's out there, we have a different way. I think it needs to be dealt with in a different way. And I don't think shutting people up is the way to deal with that. I think. Right. But it also it's like, how can you prevent the spread of that information and the rec recruiting process. How can you, well, can, how can you delay the recruiting process? Yeah, right? no, it's definitely a problem. Yeah. Uh, no, clearly look at QAnon. I mean, um, the origin of story of QAnon absolutely blows my mind. I cannot believe like the worst, there are so many legitimate 
like sounding much more legitimate sounding conspiracy theories, but like how did how did that origin story make it past people's better sensibilities? Yes. There's not I even just, a basement in that pizza parlor. <laughs> no, I just so like the the fact that there are that many people that that this story has taken that much of a hold over so many people points to much bigger problems. I agree. Now, there is a question, and I'm not enough of a historian to have an answer. Maybe you guys are. Is it worse now than ever? Certainly, there are better ways to recruit. I mean, Facebook and Twitter, and there are hundreds of ways to recruit. So we know we can do that better. But didn't people believe equally far-fetched nonsense forever? Isn't that the human condition? And it spreads well, uh, even without Facebook and Twitter. Uh, maybe not right, quite as well. Right, but on YouTube, it spreads really well yeah. because you're basically an audience of yeah. one. Well, there's that issue I mean, of radicalization like- as well, that YouTube promotes this and pushes you into this. And uh, and it's not just, by the way, it's not just uh, QAnon or uh, or white supremacy. There's there's uh, radical terrorism in a lot of areas. And so if you if you support QAnon, you may not support the fact that you know, Al Qaeda also can use uh, YouTube to to. Uh, yeah, I mean, we call them recruit. these YouTube rabbit holes for a reason. It's because we get a piece of content that's like, oh, that's kind of interesting, and then it just takes you a step yeah. further and a step yeah. further, and you know, that, that applies it's, to it's all different types of content. almost as if they designed it that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, they didn't, and but I, I mean, I always blame I always blame the uh, the algorithm. I always blame the recommendation engine. And and I always I think algorithm is really the enemy on Facebook and YouTube, uh, and to some degree Twitter. Twitter is less algorithmic, but it's more than it used to be. If it were all just chronological or it didn't recommend the next thing, I don't know if it'd be well, as dangerous. But the business model, the the business model. Well, there we go supports, again. Right? Okay. There so we in go science, again. there's a concept called dual use, and it applies in technology as well. Meaning, you've got some fundamental groundbreaking shift in technology, let's say an messenger RNA vaccine um, that has potential other use cases that are not beneficial or benevolent. Um, So you can't make those go away. You have to, again, just, it's this, it's constantly thinking through next order impacts, triangulating and making adjustments. Right. But the but when you have a when you've got a publicly traded company and the fiduciary responsibilities, you know, YouTube is going to have to invent a totally different business model or it's going to have to convince everybody to take, you know, that it's going to make less money. Kevin, are I mean, you uh, are you, uh, do you what's your BitClout price? I don't know what my BitClout price is. I don't, I don't know. I, I had to go pull it up. You you are on you are you are I could buy you on BitCloud right you could you could buy me yes okay and you could buy any Twitter user I believe on on BitCloud <laughs> so this uh, is another this is this isn't specifically to create a decentralized social network or is it I mean it is that but I I think that honestly is the kind of worst piece of it. Um, you know, yeah. Right now, I'm three thousand seven hundred sixty-two dollars and sixty-seven cents. Oh, I'm gonna buy you. It's either That's that or much the MRI. Higher than Elon Musk. Really? No, Elon Musk is eighty-four thousand. How do I find out what I'm right, worth on BitCloud? Fake Elon Musk. <laughs> fake I'm, I'm doing Musk. a search for you right now, Leo. You got to tie in your account, though. Maybe. maybe oh, I have never all... tied it in. I don't use Twitter, so I haven't tied it in. Okay, that's what it is, then. Yeah. 
And, and uh, the last time I checked, BitClout was not even like it was so slow that it was like it was DDoS. It was very, it was hard to use. They had a lot of people jump on and, yeah. and figure it out. It's, it's, it is a very odd social experiment. Not, not the, the, the decentralized social media piece of it, but the idea that you can say that rather than buying a company, I believe that an individual, there's value at the individual level and I want to own value in that. And so everyone is their own currency at some point. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it, but there's something interesting. There. Mike Arrington's been pushing it as a, a censorship resistant platform. So Mike probably is very interested in finding a censorship resistant uh, platform. I just, I am, this whole thing, it's a brave new world. That's all I can say. All right, I want to take a little break. We'll have, uh, uh, we'll kind of wrap this up in just a bit, as much as I don't want to, but honestly, I can't keep these guys for more than three or four hours. They really start to get, they have to pee in bottles. That's no good. It's true. (laughs) Somebody will be tweeting about me next. Our show today, I don't know if you noticed, the clean air in our studio, you probably didn't because you haven't, nobody's been in here except me and John for a year, but we do think it's pretty important to keep that air clean. Uh, We're all spending a lot more times, uh, time indoors these days. I think we know by now a sick office, you know, syndrome and ventilation is very important. Keeping that air clean is important. Indoor air can be five times worse than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Molecule is reimagining the future of clean air. The Molecule is not existing filtration technology. It's a scientific breakthrough in air purification called PICO, or photoelectrochemical oxidation. And it's really, actually, it's really cool. Our Molecule has a catalyst in it. We change it every, I don't know, three or four months that attracts and traps harmful pollutants, even very tiny particles that would pass right through a filter like viruses and bacteria and mold it collects them and then it destroys them it doesn't just trap them it destroys them it's really very cool and there's a molecule right for every size room there's the molecule air mini for smaller rooms up to 250 square feet the original molecule air that we bought at our house actually we have two now one for michael and one for lisa in both bedrooms. And then we now have in our studio the Molecule Air Pro for rooms up to 1,000 square feet. And if you are in a medical office or a dental office, the Molecule Air Pro RX for medical purposes to destroy bacteria and viruses in the air. Clean indoor air now is more important than ever. Molecule's Pico technology meets the performance requirements and FDA guidance for use in helping reduce the risk of exposure to COVID-19 the SARS-CoV-2 virus in healthcare settings. Of course, you're still going to wash your hands and wear your mask and get your vaccine, folks, but it's a nice, it's an important preventative extra layer of virus protection. We know that. We know now ventilation, air purification, absolutely critical. Molecules technology and filtration systems have been tested and verified by independent party, third-party labs. In fact, if you're at all skeptical, I highly recommend you go to the website, Molecule with a K, M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E dot com. You can see customer reviews there, but you can also see the white papers, the research. Molecule now offers its breakthrough Pico technology across a range of products for the home and beyond. 
pick the unit that's best for your space. You can put together a discounted bundle right now. To save up to $120 on an air purifier, go to Molecule.com and enter the code TWIT120 at checkout. But read the research. Read the papers from some of the most respected labs in the world, including our own uh, Lawrence Labs over here in Berkeley. M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. We use it at home because it's very important Breathe clean air. I'm a believer. Molecule.com and the offer code TWIT120. Don't forget to use that so they know you saw it here. Before we go on, let me just quickly uh, show you a little, oh, I'm so excited about this, a little short movie we made all about everything that happened this week on TWIT. Uh, do you know who Ryan Kaji is? If you have little kids, you do. Probably the most successful YouTube creator of all. 29 million subscribers. This is from Bloomberg Business Week. There are six-year-olds on YouTube who draw larger daily audiences than Tucker Carlson. That makes me hairy. <laughs> Previously on Twit, Smart Tech Today. But now we've got somebody who knows a thing or two. They are a member of the Thread Group and the Zigbee Alliance, as well as brand manager for Eve. It's Tim Boot. Hands-on photography. The key thing is to focus on a single lens, a prime lens, meaning not a zoom lens. As soon as you take that literal first step, something in your brain flips and you go, oh, well, now that I've moved forward, maybe I should also crouch down a little bit. And you will get better and better at your photography because you're restricting yourself. Tech News Weekly. There have been ongoing stories for quite a while about Amazon working workers to a point where uh, the, the people who are doing the deliveries, they don't have time to like go off the beaten path and find a restroom. The Amazon News responded, you don't really believe the peeing in bottles thing, do you? If that were true, nobody would work for us. Vice got in touch with uh, some different delivery drivers who work for Amazon and showed bottles with urine in them that these Amazon delivery drivers had used to uh, do their, their restroom breaks. Twit. It keeps going and going and going. Uh, boy, it's, I could, somebody in the chat room said, don't ever let this show end. But I, I think maybe Amy and Kevin might <laughs> rebel if I never let this show end. Um, you sang that song, Sticks, right? Don't let it Don't end. Don't let it end. You are betraying your 1980s heritage right there. Uh, New York has launched a vaccine passport uh, that you can pull up a code on your cell phone or print out to prove you've been vaccinated. I have the little CDC card. Yeah, that's totally not reproducible in any way. Yeah. In fact, the, <laughs> the word has gone out. Do not put it on Instagram because people will just copy it. <laughs> So, so I laminated I mine. Well, now that's a question. You can go, was it Office Depot? No, Staples offers free lamination. So I thought I'll go down, I'll get the free donut from Krispy Kreme, go over to Staples, get the free lamination. But then don't they need to write on it, Amy? Don't they, isn't there? First like, of all, what is this free donut you're talking about? Oh, you didn't know about that. Best, yeah, there are no free donuts where I'm at. What is this free donut? Krispy Kreme, <laughs> best promotion ever. You go in, you show them the card, they give you a donut. Huh. Is that like a one time? I don't really like Every day donuts, for the rest of the year. You can go back tomorrow. You can go back for the real? day after. Yeah. Do you really want to eat that many Krispy Kreme donuts? I think Krispy Kremes, whatever. I think Krispy Kreme donuts are super gross. I like the, uh, they're like way too sweet and uh, they, 
they taste great going down. Uh, I've yet to, uh, I, I, I always, always regret eating it. No COVID, but uh, you get the diabetes. So yeah, you got that. That's good. <laughs> but you've got the 24-hour diabetes monitor, so you're okay. That's right. In fact, I <laughs> want you to go get that donut and then tell us how high. I know exactly what it would be. Oh, like 180, <laughs> 240. Yeah, exactly. Now, you're not diabetic. Like, you're just testing this no. out, right? I'm doing it because I have poor glucose disposal. So it's just ah. like something that we discover when taking a glucose tolerance test. So ah. it means I have to like do extra more more cardio to get in the normal range. I am it's type like two. If, I, I okay. mean, I control it. But uh, but uh, are you a metformin user or no? I have a little metformin in my pocket. Yes, <laughs> there's some good life extension properties. I know. You know, the doctor said your 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 A1C has been so good you can get off the metformin. And I said, but wait, I want to live forever. Don't <laughs> doesn't it have <laughs> other values? And it's pretty harmless, right? It's not. It's not a. I mean, it's been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't it's take pennies. a huge amount. It's really expensive. But I yeah I told I told him uh, no I want the life extension benefits. Hey, so as long as we're on this So subject. he said, eat more Krispy Kreme. You can stay on metformin for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Kevin, Amy? do you do any, neuro, like, neurotropics? Do you do any, like, chem, Oh, I, like, be, I bet he's microdosing as we speak. Uh, no, actually, I don't do a ton. The only thing I do is I have a genetic uh, mutation that I found by doing that whole 23andMe thing. Oh, really? Um, that makes me a bad uh, methylator of B vitamin, so my homocysteine is high. And so I okay. take a special high dose B vitamin to knock down the homocysteine, which has been linked to, um, uh, you know, uh, our, our plaque in, in the arteries. So my dad died of a heart attack. So I got to pay special attention to young. that. Yeah, he was pretty young. Yeah, yeah, yeah he was uh, early 70s. So yeah. that was a that was a bummer. But for um, me, that's pretty young. I'm very I'm hyper aware of how close to mid seventies I am getting. So yeah, yeah I'm going to get that pre-novo. I'm going to do, I'm going to send in my genetics to those, that company. I've learned a lot. You might've saved my life this week, Kevin. Thank you. I do the sauna. I do sauna and uh sulforaphane is also something Inf- that I do. Infrared so, or what? No, actually traditional, like, like sauna. Is that good for you? Yeah, I all love the, all the day, Oh, also dude. We, we built a sauna. Drop. All calls yeah. mortality goes down by like thirty really? percent. Like steam oh, or yeah. dry. It's, you have to get to a certain temperature. I think is what the, the sweet spot's one seventy four for twenty minutes a day Fahrenheit. Now, before you were doing the cold thing, have you stopped doing that? I don't. Do, I don't do the cold as much. In the winter, I will just to kind of like harden up a little bit, just yeah. to kind of like give me. It's, it's like a nice extra cup of ca- uh, caffeine in the morning. Yeah, your heart's pounding. Yeah. But I, I do the sauna at least. Oh, uh, I want to. I've always a wanted a sauna. I love, but I like steam. So it, yeah, that's what it, I do too. Yeah, I like because I don't want. Dry. Well, I just pour it over can, the hot you rocks. Can build one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Did you build one, we Amy? Built a, we we have a yeah. We built a pretty. Um, we we built a pretty awesome sauna. How safe our, is in that? our house? You, <laughs> it, it has an automatic shutoff. I mean, you're not going to like fall asleep in there, but right. Uh, um, you, so, and it, for you, it's not an open flame. It's a electric heater or something. It's electric, yeah, but yeah. it's it's in an enclosed space, and it's amazing. I would love that. We so, also um, optimized our bed, as long as we're just quickly trading some ideas here. Optimize um, your so bed. I don't know if I want to know about this. There's this company called Uller, Uller that makes a fitted blanket with conduit running through it, and uh, <laughs> in it automatic. So there's all it's this cooler without the sea, is it? Yeah, it's a bed cooling. Yeah. System. Now I will say, if anybody listening to this is anywhere near this company, you need to fix your janky ass app uh, and the Bluetooth connectivity, which is so, hugely problematic. But um, I sleep at 60 degrees every night 
And then you're, you're supposed to sleep I have cold. It set it's, supposed to, it's better for you to sleep cool, right? Yeah. Right. Well, it regulates my body temperature for me at night. Oh. And then I have it set at around five o'clock to start because I like to wake up early. Warm you up. Um, so it, it goes up to about 115 degrees. I don't think Lisa is going to accept this. Should we actually so have Amy, an electric blanket because she gets so cold? I don't know if I should I, get a, a, And a weighted Amy, blanket I, on top of me. Yeah. I had that Uller as well. And oh I loved it. Oh, my it God. But, but the app, right? I will say, the, no, well, Sleep 8 is better. It's just better app, better tech. It's, What's it's less Sleep like, 8? Yeah, yeah. Right, okay. It's, it, it's, it's basically like, you know when you lay on the Uller, it still feels like you're kind of like laying on something because there's yeah. those cords yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah. going underneath you. Sleep Late super cozy and it does all the same things, better technology. It looks okay, at I'll your HRV and everything and adjusts things oh. dynamically yeah, if you yeah. want it to. Now, how do you spell Sleep 8? Because I found it. Uh, or maybe 8 Sleep. Maybe they do it the other way around. Sleep. But they have a, they have one that, yeah, they sell eight, a mattress eight, that has E-I-G-H-T, eight sleep.com. You I, I like our mattress. Podcast, We've got like a... I have a yeah. but they have one that zips on top of of your existing okay. mattress, so you can do it without the um, without buying a whole new mattress. Oh, That's okay. the one I got. That's I didn't I want to have to buy a whole new mattress. Yeah, I mean, so there's, it's interesting. Like, there's a whole bunch of sleep tech uh, trying to optimize your sleep, and you you're sort of unconscious. You know, you're you're letting somebody else take care of you while while you're asleep. But I will say, between the my husband has the a conduit weighted blanket, and I just have the weighted blanket, so we now. But but I I'm sleeping better than I've probably ever slept. Um, sleeping cool is my is body important. temperature regulated. I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. The people who are watching and listening are now saying next thing Leo's gonna tell him he tapes his mouth shut. So I'm not gonna mention that. <laughs> I've done that, but I have been doing that after reading James Nestor's Breath. Yes, great book. Great book. With what kind of tape? Uh. Oh, now you got me started. You get on Amazon. It's three, like three M micro pore surgical yeah. tape. You'd only I've lose got a super a bad latex allergy. No latex, I don't think. And you you don't uh, okay. you don't just a postage stamp. So if you had to, because <laughs> sometimes I have to sneeze, and there's no way to. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't want to tape the whole thing. You, this way, you go <laughs> comes out the side. But <laughs> all right, enough of that. And a humidifier. I also book. have a, a humidifier. Okay. So yeah, you I mean, have this so many down a very deep bedroom. rabbit hole. Oh yeah. yeah, I've got our our bedroom is is but very the quest high-tech. for a good night's sleep is perhaps one of man's most worthy causes <laughs> because it, I mean, especially as you get older, I don't I don't sleep well at all, and if I could have a good night's sleep just once, I would love that. Weighted blanket. Weighted blanket? Really? That's huge. Really? Yeah. Really? You both agree. So yeah. sauna, I, and I had to weighted I bought blanket. an extra heavy one. I sleep under a twenty pound weighted blanket now. Nice. Which one did you get? It's a I forget the name of the brand. It it was a little it it uses microbeads, so I've had problems mm. with them before where they pool up, you know. Yes, um, this, I don't want that. Is this yeah. like the thunder coat that you put on your dog when there's thunder and because they feel pretty much it's the same thing. You just basically yeah, it makes you like all wrapped up in a little baby cocoon, and like it's, it feels. And it makes it so nice. you can't flop around. I, yeah. I'm ah. an active sleeper, and I, ah. I I've had insomnia. I, I got to tell you, I I don't I fall asleep, and I I don't move at night, and I'm just getting more restful sleep now. This just in from the chat room: 3M Micropore Surgical Tape is a latex-free, hypoallergenic, okay. paper-based tape, and man, that stuff sticks. It is. Okay. It holds your mouth. Well, I don't want to like ruin my beautiful skin. 
No, I was worried that I was going to start. I do it every night yeah. now. I can't sleep with that. It's, 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 you know what? Maybe we're supposed to torture ourselves at sleep at night. Like do, you know, maybe I should have somebody come in and spank me because the weighted blanket, the tape over the lips, the cold, it seems I, like we, we sleep spend, better if we're in sleep pain. Is, sleep is extraordinarily important. It is the moment that is the, our cells regenerate. Like you, you got, like if all the things to optimize in my life, like that's the thing that I care yeah. most deeply yeah. about optimizing. Yeah. You should yeah. have Matt Walker on your show, Leo, from okay. uh, Why We Sleep. From the He runs the Berkeley Sleep Lab. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic, great. I've heard fantastic. him. Yes. yes. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He knows about all the latest tech on, on that stuff. It'd be a good, fun tech guest. You guys are good, fun tech guests. Kevin Rose is such a pleasure. His new podcast is Modern Finance, MoFi.net. Highly recommended. At Kevin Rose. Plug something else. What else? No, that's it. I mean, I just hope people tune into the podcast. I'm it's trying really to good. all all the stuff. The, the, the problem that I, I see, in fact, with my own family, with my, my sister and everyone else, is that there's so much going on in the world of decentralized finance and cryptocurrency. It's confusing. So I just want to like break it down for the average consumer because I think there's going to be uh, the entire financial backbone is being rewritten right now, and it's a really interesting time to invest in that. So I want to help people find the right projects to get excited about. So that's that's my hope. Awesome. So great to see you, Kevin. Uh, you know, always a special place in my heart for you. So oh, feeling is mutual, love, brother. Love Thank you so fam. much. All right. All right. You are, as they said in the chat room, twit gold. And uh, twit gold also, of course, to Amy. We love having you on. Amy Webb, uh, Future Today Institute. Their new report is out. You can get it at the website, uh, which is, is it futuretodayinstitute.com? Yeah, and it's futuresinstitute.com slash trends. And you can get all the reports there. And we open source all of our research. So everything is open source and available for you to read and make your own. Just give us credit. It's funny, Amy, uh, I was reading that. I went to check it out beforehand, um, you know, before we started the show. I wanted to see some of those research Mm -hmm. reports and I was reading through them. They're awesome, number one. And number two, I expected to hit a paywall. I like clicked on one. I'm like, okay. And actually the report just comes up. It's awesome. It's like all free. Thank you. She gives it away, folks. 14 years in a row. Yeah. um, I had it pointed out to me that if we charged uh, $1 per download, that we would have several million extra dollars of revenue a year as a company. (laughs) A dollar's fair. A dollar's fair. But uh, I don't know. I, I can't. I can't continue to say that I'm, I'm, I'm a futurist because I'm trying to make this, I'm trying to leave a positive dent on the world nice. um, and then charge people a bunch of money uh, to get the research that I, I think would take them there. So you're not freaking well, Jeff scroll up Bezos. A little bit. Yeah. Right. Scroll up a little bit right there. That blockchain one is the one I checked out. It's actually, it's really good. A lot of, there we go. And FinTech, that, that report right there. The Recommended. Left. By fintech yeah, that, expert Kevin Rose. No, I mean I was I was shocked. Like the, a lot of the stuff that we, I mean, I have analysts that work at True Ventures that that go into this stuff, and we we're always looking at the new projects. And you you hit on a lot of it. And I, when was that report published? Was yeah. that soon? Uh, it, it launches every year at South by, so it, it launched okay. officially on March sixteenth. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Awesome. How was yeah, South by Amy? Did you? Was there anything? How did yeah. it? It happened. Listen, I got to tell you, um, and I'll keep it brief, but I. My heart goes out to them. They uh, the, the, they were in a rough spot Two last years year. They didn't now. have yeah. yeah they didn't have the right insurance last year, so they they couldn't make a lot of adjustments. I think this year they did about as good as job a, a, a good as as good a job 
um, as, as you could have hoped. And Hugh Forrest and, and Sarah Lynn and, and that whole crew that put together the content, I really think they did. I, I really think they did a good job, a good job. So Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it. Next year, let's all meet. In fact, frankly, you're the two people I'd like to spend an evening eating, you know, with dinner and drinks with. But this was the next best thing. So thank you so much for spending your evening with us. Amy Webb, Kevin Rose. Really thank you, Leo. appreciate it. Really fascinating Thanks, Leo. stuff. Thank you. We do Twit every Sunday afternoon, 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern, 21.30 UTC. I give you those times because you can watch us do it. We can watch us record almost all of our shows live. The stream is at twit.tv slash live. There's audio and video there. If you're watching live, you've heard me mention it several times today, we have a great chat room. They're chatting live, irc.twit.tv, and they're there 24-7. There's something going on there all the time. Uh, it's run by our community. We don't have anything to do with it, but we're glad they're there, irc.twit.tv. You can also, of course, watch On Demand. I mean, it is a podcast. After all, there are episode, every episode, excuse me, every episode we've ever done is actually online at twit.tv for every show. Go there. Uh, there's a YouTube channel for every show you could watch there. I think that's a pretty complete uh, collection as well. Uh, or get your favorite podcast client and subscribe. If you do, you'll get it automatically uh, the minute you're, uh, it's available, so you won't miss it just in time for your Monday morning commute. Uh, leave a review if that podcast client allows reviews. Leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Help spread the word. Tell other people about our show. Uh, we do have, as I mentioned, a forum that you can communicate with if you're one of those asynchronous listeners. It's like a chat room, but it's there anytime you want to use it. That's twit.community. You're welcome to join. And as I mentioned, we have a Twitter kind of replacement. It's called Mastodon. It's a federated microblogging service. Uh, our instance is at twit.social. Uh, I, if you're already on Mastodon, you can follow me at leo at twit.social. If you're not, join our instance. You can then follow people on every other instance. Uh, so it's kind of a cool uh, technology. And we have now more than 1,000 members on Twit.social, which means it's starting to pick up. Start, there's, it's actually kind of fun. There's activity there every day. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next time. Another Twit. It's amazing. Is in the game. Bye-bye.